Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. It is a day to inject coffee into your veins. It is a 9:20 tip tonight for the national championship game. I feel like it's kind of an annual first Monday in April. I'm always like, why the hell does this game tip so late? And how old am I getting that I'm moaning about that? Uh, obviously, we'll chat a lot about that on today's show. The Pacers officially eliminated from the playoffs as they have been doing their best part to quietly tank over the past week or so. And a whole lot to unpack from what was a busy sports weekend and a busy travel weekend. Good morning, Jay Query. Uh, (laughs) Planes, trains, and automobiles. Those aren't pillows. Uh, Let's see. The the, the 32nd short of it would be this. Yes, there were really bad storms. I think actually there might have been a tornado in Dallas. They moved up the start time in the IndyCar race. Not by much, but they did move it up. And the weather was great. The race was great. It was a fast race. Awesome race. So we got done, and I'm like, oh, man, we had an 8 o'clock flight out of Dallas Love Field on Southwest. I mean, no blame on Southwest here. I totally get it. The weather was terrible. So we got notice that my 8 o'clock flight was canceled, but there was a 4 o'clock flight. And I'm like, well, I'll just go and see if I can jump on that flight. En route there, they then said we Dallas Love Field Airport uh, Airfield or whatever they call it was basically shut down because of the storms, which were only expected to last until like six. So at that point, full credit and kudos to Shannon Walsh who I called and for know, many she's, reasons, she's not a, just that's her right. traveling ability. She's a travel well, agent, yeah. So she found one seat left on a flight to Cincinnati. And then, full credit to my buddy Mike Byron, who I called and said, hey, what are you doing tonight? Nothing. And I said, well, good. Then you're picking me up in Cincinnati at 945. <laughs> <laughs> so Exactly he, what he wanted to be doing. He on drove Sunday down night. to Cincinnati and picked me up and uh, drove me back to the Indy airport where my car was. And then I got home and crashed out, and here we are. So that's kind of the fun of it, to be honest with you. Now, my coworkers, Mark Janes, Nick Yeoman, and Michael Young, drove back. Uh, they had a different car, and so they, as soon as it was canceled, because the flights they had us coming back on, I, I was they rebooked me on one through Phoenix. It would have gotten back very late tonight. So those guys drove back, um, and kudos to them for doing it, and hopefully they, they spent the night last night near somewhere in Missouri, so... I uh, hope they get, you know, safe travels to them. But well, I thought maybe you just hop in with Pot of Water, Joseph Newgarden, see if Boy. they were going to keep that uh, entertainment going for another couple what. hundred miles. That, that was, was that was that was a heck of a race, man. I mean, those two guys were both on rails, and um, that was Texas the way it's intended to be raced. I mean, side-by-side, side, great racing. It was a great weekend in sports, too. I mean, the San Diego State game was fantastic. Hard to think, Kevin, that... You know, San Diego State, the way they defend, they've got a shot against Connecticut, but boy, Connecticut's awfully strong. Yeah, it's been pretty clinical by UConn throughout. Um, Again, five straight games here of double-digit victories. There's just, they don't put a single liability out on the floor. No one 
you can't like sag off on anybody. I mean, all of them are threats, and all of them are threats to do multiple things. Um, it's been absolutely surgical watching Danny Hurley. And you know what? I, and we can get into this more. You know, for Danny Hurley, Jake, this has probably got to be like, hey, yeah, I am the other Hurley. I am the other Correct. brother. Correct. You know, I'm sure he's lived with that a, a whole lot of his life, considering you know how great of a college player his brother was. And honestly, you can make the argument, you know, his brother a little bit more of an accomplished college basketball coach until here recently so a ton to get to on this monday morning um speaking of weather certainly thinking about everybody in the whiteland area sullivan indiana just some horrific tornadoes around the state especially friday night and it sounds like we might get a little bit more of severe weather coming up tuesday night and that's this time of year as the weather certainly starts to improve and we love that um living in this part of the country we know full well what that is all about. So thinking about everybody in those parts of the state that have been impacted and where Jake was over the weekend, uh, because I think it's hidden all parts of the country. Uh, Nate Atkins is going to join us at 8.30. Um, he was at the Anthony Richardson Pro Day, which rounded out last week. Um, the Colts had, I would say, a little bit more important representation at the Anthony Richardson Pro Day than they have had at some others. Curious Nate's thoughts on what he saw from Richardson and just what he makes of that. I did think it was an interesting note from Peter King this morning saying that the Colts will work out all four quarterbacks this week. So um, you want to talk about what is typically a quiet week in the NFL calendar. The Colts start their offseason program next week. It is a massive week in terms of uh, them coming to a conclusion on this quarterback decision. Um, I, I'm guessing, Jake, you didn't get a chance. You were probably on hold of Southwest to watch a whole lot of LSU Iowa yesterday. I just got your just got your text that you asked if I landed okay. <laughs> I did, by the way. Um, I figured I would walk in, and that's when I would know if you landed that's okay right. or not. I did, by the way. To answer your question, I watched uh, a a lot of Iowa and South Carolina, and then I watched. Bits and pieces. I was in the airport um, when I got to the Dallas airport. Uh, again, another tip of the cat to Matt Hoke, who works for IndyCar Video Boards, uh, who's a member of the American Airlines Admiral Club. I've never actually paid for that little thing. And he was, and he's like, hey, you just want to go up with, up there with me. So we went up and were able to sit and kind of relax a little bit in some nice chairs waiting for the Air, you know the flights to get out and they had the game on so i saw it in the background and was watching a little of it um and i know you're not a fan of uh, now how do you what do you describe the head coach of lsu how do you describe her kim mulkey she's nuts yeah absolutely nuts <laughs> um yeah she's the robert montgomery of uh the women's game but and i know a lot was made uh, and i didn't you know i wasn't sitting and watching in totality so i had to go with clips that i saw but i know that a lot was made of kind of the taunting of Caitlin Clark towards the end of that game. Um, but let's be real. She's pretty demonstrative herself in games over the course of the tournament, right? And, you know, part of that is, I, I think, the is it unsportsmanlike? I, you know, I, I don't know. It depends on who you ask. But I don't think necessarily that anything was displayed towards her that she did not herself show or display that was seen as 
an incredible fiery competitor about her over the course of the tournament. You know, I, I hate that um, that's the first place w- we have to go or, or, or we go. I mean, LSU just set a championship record for most points scored in a national title game. Yeah, they unbelievable, had three right? girls over 20, and none of them were their best player. And Angel Reese, who obviously was a big, you know, whatever, instigator of the taunting there late. Um, and obviously the officiating was a huge storyline early on. I thought the Caitlin Clark technical was totally uncalled for from an officiating standpoint and not necessary at all. But like, oh my, I mean, how about what LSU did? And, and certainly what Iowa did on Friday night, Jake, to your point, in, in dethroning South Carolina, the heavy favorite, was an incredible performance, but LSU, that was darn impressive, um, what they did. And, you know, sure, was Angel Reese a little bit over the top post-buzzer? Probably, but, you know, Caitlin Clark had her moments all right. throughout the That's season, all throughout no the question. tournament. And to me, it's just kind of like, it, it's if that was the men's game, Jake, I don't think we're talking about it too much. No question about that. It's like, oh wait, girls can act like that. I'm like, well, yeah. Have you ever seen a player in the NCAA men's tournament dunk and stand over somebody? Have you ever seen a DB make a big pass breakup and stand over a wideout? I mean, it happens on a day in day out basis in the men's game. Um, obviously, from an entertainment, from an eyes standpoint, and the numbers, I think we'll back this up when we get them tomorrow. Uh, the women's tournament, just a huge amount of appeal. And you know, the really interesting part about this, Jake, I mean, the fact that Caitlin Clark, I don't, are you eligible to come out after three years? No, I, I don't believe so, right? So she's she, not eligible for the draft. She'll no, be I back think, in school. Yeah, we went over it last week. Yeah, 2024. She's not coming out till then. Is, it, the is that an age thing or the number of years since graduation thing? Like, do you have to be of a certain age, or do you have to be four years removed? I sat in the, on I the flight. Could have sworn there's been women's basketball players that have left college early. Now, from an NIL standpoint, it might make mo- more sense for her. Right, to go right. I thought, okay, so last night on the flight to Cincinnati, uh, there were three of us in the row, and the girl in the middle. We we started talking about basketball, and the girl in the middle said she had played at Western Michigan, and so we were talking about the women's Final Four. And she said that it was her. It was an age requirement. She's like, well, yeah, based 20, on her age, she's not required. She's not eligible. I YouTube thought chat is said. saying you got to be twenty-two. Yeah. So the great thing for women's basketball is it's bad for the fever, of course, considering they have the number one pick. I'll be at the um, Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina. Seems like a great selection. But Caitlin Clark, it goes without saying what she would mean. You have Caitlin Clark, you have Angel Reese, LSU's best player, all coming back. And remember UConn, Paige Beckers, remember her tearing her ACL yeah, at the start of the that's year? that's right. She was supposed to be the best player in the country, She'll right? be back. Yeah. So, you know, again, from a viewership standpoint, that has to be great for the women's game. Uh, were you on the ground? And I'm trying to think of your, your your flight schedule. Were you there on the ground when Lamont Butler hit the shot for San Diego State? I was. So that was... So we got in uh, Friday night and then like Saturday... Eastern Friday, something like that? that was, well, that was Saturday. Or s- Saturday night, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I went... Um, after we got done at the racetrack, I actually ran a few errands in Dallas and then went to a restaurant near the hotel and just sat and was watching it and that shot reminded me of and this is really esoteric scott skiles in 1982 hit a shot for plymouth to force overtime either overtime or double overtime against gary roosevelt that was from near the same spot 
But the Skyle shot has always been famous in Indiana lore for what they call like the hook. Like it, he shot it and it looked like it was going to be off, in Skyle's case, to the right. And it kind of hooked left and went in. I thought Butler's shot was wide left. Like when he let go of it, I was like, he missed that to the front of the rim. And then, I mean, that was a hell of a shot. Did you hear the radio call for San Diego State and for... I did, yeah. I saw a mashup of like... Nance, the two radio calls, and then I think it was Spanish radio now what's, as well. What's the name of our friend for Florida Atlantic, Mark, that we had on? Levica. Ken. Ken, Ken Levica. He Ken did a... not respond to my text, by the way. I, I texted him Friday. Do you think he thought I jinxed him? I go, hey, just trying to plan ahead. If you guys win, love to have you on Monday night. Now, he did text me back. <laughs> but it took a while. I texted him to say, you know... It, when you do play-by-play, you never know when your moment's going to be there, right? Like when that moment's going to be there, that's the one that's that that's your call. I've never had that, but I'm saying. Yeah. And here's a guy that's the radio play-by-play voice of Florida Atlantic. Probably never, ever thought he would be doing a Final Four, let alone seeing his team on the cusp of playing for a national championship, and they get beat in that moment. And I thought his call was outstanding I, he nailed it i thought it was i know he had to have been disappointed but it, so i just sent him a thing saying i thought that was a fabulous call yeah, i mean I and it took like 12 hours and then he's like you know thank you or whatever but the the san diego state call was really bizarre did you hear it yeah it was a bit odd um i mean literally it was just kind like, of a weird way to describe it kind of had like a vegas feel to it I, I don't, I, and he is the san diego state play-by-play guy has is like He's like the the Bob Lamy of San Diego. He's been around forever. And he does the Padres. He's done the Padres for 40 years. And literally his call was just, good, good. Who's going to the finals? Not the FAU. The Aztecs. I mean, it was just weird. Very, very like showman-like. Very. Um, I, I thought Nance had a really good call. And I thought it was like an accurate, certainly an accurate statement he made. You know, when John L. Davis, and boy, you got a feel for the Gary kid, he was terrible on, on Saturday night for, for FAU. Um, when he misses that shot and San Diego State gets the rebound and starts to go up floor, Nance immediately says something to the effect of, like, their shooters are not out there. And that was spot on. You know, San Diego State had had their best defensive lineup right. out there because they were trying to get a stop. And you know, and I thought Brian Brian Dutcher was pretty funny after the game, being like, "I had ran out of place to call. That's why I didn't take a take a timeout." Jake, they had Matt Bradley, their leading scorer on the bench. Um, they had their second leading scorer on the bench in that moment. I mean, you talk about he would have been criticized like none other had Lamont Butler missed that shot. In that you don't have your best offensive lineup out there. You know, some people, which uh, I was probably one of them, and maybe it's because Mike Bray never did this this past season. I thought San Diego State should have fouled to extend the game. I thought they were going to get the ball back with like four seconds to go and have to go the length of the court. Right. John L. Davis went a little bit earlier than than I thought FAU probably should have gone there. Uh, and then obviously Butler. It, there was a calmness to Butler in that moment that I don't think you typically see. I, I feel like you get guys in that moment that when they get stuck, in the, and he was kind of stuck there. I mean, hell, he almost stepped out of bounds. He was kind of stuck in no man's land. And all of a sudden, he doesn't like throw up some wild pass. He doesn't throw up some wild shot. He just kind of calmly you know, crosses back to his left. And for the most part, that was probably an in-rhythm mid-range jumper Yeah, he kind of re-emphasized. He kind of like 
he kind of almost reset the play. Does that make Which, sense? Which, again, guys with three seconds yeah. to go, two seconds to go, they don't do that. So, unbelievable. Obviously, when the shot went in, I thought about the villages in Florida and just the heartbreaking <laughs> nature that not only they had to feel – you know, for the first game, but eventually they had to feel, you know, watching Miami, I'm sure there's other villages. So what you're saying is when they woke up town. the next morning and saw what happened on the news, they were devastated. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> got the highlights that they can show me here. Uh, so tonight it will be UConn as a, you guys surprised by seven and a half point line? Interesting. I was talking about this last night. I would say yes, except for San Diego State is so good defensively. You would think it'd be a little bit, uh, to be honest with you, Kevin, I could see that being like a 10 or 11 point spread because of the way Connecticut's played. But San Diego State defensively, that's what's going to give, if San Diego State's going to have a shot in this game, which I think they could, it's going to be because of their defense. Yeah, they need to really kind of muck it up. Um, Obviously, they did an outstanding job against Alabama earlier in the tournament. And really outside of the first half on Saturday, they've been great defensively all year long, and especially here as of late, but... Man, now, again, UConn just they they everybody out there is a threat, and everybody right. is a is a threat to do multiple things and quickly. <laughs> you watch them, and you're like, "How the hell were they a four seed? How the hell did they lose as many games as they did?" Now, a lot of people would think that tonight's game simply is Connecticut against San Diego State, but it's more than that because in our Jay's Lobster and Fish Market from the Garage Food Hall in the Bottleworks District in downtown Indianapolis, one of Indy Monthly's best restaurants, by the way. The Seafood Shack that's bringing a taste of the East Coast to Indiana. We have the gift cards to give away. Unless it is a 34-point spread tonight, Scotty will win for biggest blowout. He had UNC Asheville. That's not our Scotty, right? No. That is correct. It's not our Scotty. Um, Raphael has already secured with Princeton the double-digit seed to go the furthest. And then Paul versus Tom. Paul with Connecticut, Tom with San Diego State. And we got a matchup in our bracket challenge as well, which will be for the final gift card. We have a tie going into tonight. Uh, Trevor. How about Trevor's got UConn to win it all? That's impressive. Trevor's got UConn to win it all. So obviously, if they win, he will win because the other person, and, and I guess there's no really name associated, just Indy Fan 1. Indy Fan 1 had... UConn in the title game, uh, but at Purdue winning it all. But they are tied right now. So comes down to a UConn victory or not. I guess if there's well, a tie, how should we div- if San Diego State wins, how should we divide that up? Should they both get one? Well, here's how you here's how you say it. Who did you said somebody has UConn winning it, right? Uh-huh. And the Indy fan one has Purdue. Okay, the one that has UConn winning it, who does he have them playing in the final? Uh, he had Alabama. Who did he have in the Final Four? Uh, How many Final Fours did he have correct? So that'll be our tiebreaker. Yeah, I'm going to guess. The most final, they, who had the most of the Final Four? Then the second tiebreaker would be who had the most of the Elite Eight and, and moving backward. Yeah, I don't know if they had any of them. The pool, the the high school pool that I was Outside in. behind UConn. Three people had Oh, looks like he had FAU maybe. Yeah, uh, Alabama, Texas. Gosh, you should just get the, the the gift card for having FAU. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we'll see how that one plays out. Um, Jake, you've worked in TV, obviously. Um, why the nine twenty tip? The nine twenty tip would be because what that does is if it's nine twenty Eastern, 
You want the peak time to be like 10.30 Eastern, 11 Eastern? 9.20 Eastern allows for it to be seen in prime time in all four time zones. So why is the Super Bowl 6.30 kick then? Uh, probably because it's a Sunday, not a Monday. So prime time is not as applicable because it's a weekend as opposed to a weeknight. Yeah, but is Sunday really viewed as a weekend? The game that I recall, the first game that I remember being like one of the 9 o'clock tips, and I'm sure they had others before it, but um, the 1983 national championship game between the five slam and Jamie Houston Cougars and North Carolina State and Jim Valvano, and I remember being at Little League baseball practice that day after school, because it was a Monday, and everyone we were all talking about whose parents were going to let us stay up, which the answer was no one, because it was a 9 o'clock tip. It was, an, it was being played in Albuquerque, so it was in the mountain time zone. And I remember we were all like, well, yeah, my parents aren't going to let me stay up, mostly because there's, it, it's going to be such a blowout. Like, why? I, what, there's no point. There was no game that was a bigger slam dunk, kind of like tonight, to be honest with you, where you're like, come on, I mean, this game's going to be a blowout. And then I'll, the next morning I got up and my dad's like, you're not going to believe this. But they won. North Carolina State beat them on a last-second dunk. And I'm like, are, are you kidding me? And my dad gave it kind of the quiet, I wanted to wake you up, but your mother wouldn't let me. <laughs> don't say a word. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, when you think to Houston championship games, and I mean the, the city, obviously Butler-UConn was an awful championship game. But the last one there, um, pretty incredible. Villanova and North Carolina back in 2016. And, and the shooting that night was just at an absolutely absurd rate. North Carolina's over 60% from three. I think Villanova's over 50, the Chris Jenkins shot. So you've kind of had two that, ones of the The Jenkins shot here. was Houston? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think a lot of people reference, you know, Lamont Butler, it was a two, not a three, a little bit more to the right, but it was the same basket uh, that you had that um, back in uh, 2016. Did want to mention this. Um, I saw Rick Bozich tweeted this late last night, Jake. Uh, Rick Bozich, longtime Louisville, kind of the Bob Kravitz of Louisville, Um, He's covered IU basketball and covered the Knight era, Bob Knight era a lot. Uh, He tweeted last night, a letter went out tonight to former IU basketball players to pray for Bob Knight, the former Indiana coach. Said he has been hospitalized in Bloomington since Friday, but they hope he is home soon. Um, I know Bob has certainly battled um, some health issues over the last few years, Um, but I think any time you see that, Jake, of like letter out to players – um, that you know something is something serious is 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 going on. Yeah, I mean Bob Knight. It was born in October of 1940, so that means that he uh, obviously is, you know, what 82 and a half years old. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say probably for the and I don't know without getting into too many specifics. When Knight came back and was honored in that Purdue game. I, I can tell you there was a there was a sense of urgency from those very close to Bob Knight to do that then because they didn't know how much long and I don't mean from like a passing away standpoint, but just from an overall health standpoint, they knew the challenges that were going to be presented by trying to do that if they waited another season. And then of course, if I'm not mistaken, that was right before the COVID year, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, that changes everything. But Maybe just a month before it all. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's what it was. It was 20. So, um, so they felt like they so they knew then, and I think people close to him have known um, that it's been a delicate situation with him for quite some time. So, uh, clearly, you hope for the best. I mean, somebody that boy, I'll tell you, if it is impossible to state to anyone who was not necessarily you know, living in Indiana at the time, the incredible influence of Bob Knight during his coaching tenure in Indiana. I have always said from a sports standpoint, he might have been during his tenure the most powerful man from a sports standpoint in any state in the United States towards that state, towards whichever. Like you take the most powerful person in each of the 50 states – Knight was more powerful than any of them were in their respective states in the other 49. I truly believe that at his absolute apex. And I don't think you'll ever see it again, just with how the nature of sports for a lot of is. Reasons, yeah, yeah for, for many reasons. I don't even think necessarily Nick Saban would qualify as that in Alabama, and there might be some people in Alabama that would differ with that. But obviously, think about Bob Knight um, and the entire family. There, the Pacers officially eliminated from the playoffs yesterday. They've got three to go, so they'll have the Knicks on Wednesday, the Pistons on Friday, then in New York to end the regular season. Coming up on Sunday again, the uh, the old tank continues for them. What well, one question I was curious about with like they continue to sit Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner. What if Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner had like significant contract in- incentives to reach? We've seen that before, right, with players where it's. I mean, the Colts have had that, right, Kevin? Where they, in meaningless games, they had guys go ahead and go out to try to get them. Like if the Pacers said, "Yeah, Tyrese, you're good. We'll just honor all those, but you just sit." Well, that that's possible. I, I would think that it would be from a from a team standpoint, it is not a good look if you are denying a player that opportunity, right? Right. Especially when it seems like you're denying them to play on the floor. Which again, I totally right. get it, and I'm a fan of it. And right now, they are sixth in the tank standings. It's a very close five, six, seven, eight. So that will be the thing to monitor here over the final week of the regular season. It is supposed to be, I think, a pretty warm Monday here in Indy. It looks like a really nice start. I know some again ugly weather in the forecast potentially tomorrow night into Wednesday, but temperature wise. A good start to the week. A ton to get to on today's Kevin and Query. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton, live here, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. All right, get your coffee in you. Uh, tonight, it's a 9-20 tip. San Diego State in UConn for the men's national title in Houston. It's a 7.5-point favorite for UConn. Jake, uh, two, 2018, the last time we've had a team in the title game that has won five straight by double digits. UConn has been absolutely dominant. And for San Diego State, they are on the heels of back-to-back one-point victories uh, when we get to the four-minute mark of the second half tonight, will it be interesting? I think it will because, like I said, of San Diego State's defense. I, maybe I'm being optimistic. I, San Diego State, Kevin, it's interesting, has been a really good program for, for the last five to ten years. But because it's on the West Coast and because their best year was the COVID year that was shut down. Right. You know, we don't we don't hear we don't think of them as in well, that they, they don't ilk, play in right? the Pac-12. You know that obviously right influences it. Um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see tonight if they are able to make the game ugly in any manner. I think that's been kind of their best way to slow things down. UConn, no one has been able to stop them whatsoever. It was crazy to think back. Obviously, the shot by Butler on Saturday night, you almost forget they were down 14 with like 
14 minutes to go, and they really got back in the game by just a bunch of offensive rebounds. Finally, the Florida Atlantic height, lack of height, I think kind of caught up to them um, in that game. Um, so tonight, again, it'll be San Diego State and UConn for the national championship. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, it was the Reds over the Pirates, 3-1. Cubs on the short end against the Brewers, 9-5. Now, uh, in our big race for the PBR, let's see, the Red Sox. Did you, who did you have, Mark? The Arizona Diamondbacks. Somebody had the Red Sox, but but then, see, this is... Wait, who had that? Everybody who? in the building suddenly wanted part of our little game. Oh, yeah, so Kevin just, missed all that, that we've added we like four the more Red people. Sox. I feel like that that's out. The th- okay, you had the Arizona Diamondbacks. I had the Diamondbacks. They I thought were it was winners. just our little family here. Yeah, oh, you you missed Friday. Yeah, there's like five more people now. JMV wanted in, oh. and then once he wanted in, that he he did he, he get the Dodgers. He had like nine coat tailors with him. I'll <laughs> yeah, take that underdog right. of the yeah, LA Dodgers. I think please. the Astros might surprise some people this year. The Diamondbacks two one winners over the Dodgers. Okay, Kevin, you had. I've got the hot Athletics who won their first one, lost their last two. Uh, the Oakland Athletics were they idle yesterday? Uh, no, I think they lost. I don't beat them two nothing in seven innings. Uh, the Angels beat the Athletics yeah. six nothing. My opinion, that sucked. Thank Trout you. and Otani hit a home. And run. Red Sox nine five over cute fella. So hey, how uh, about the Reds? I told you three one over the Pirates. Now last year, Jake, they started two and two and lost twenty of twenty one. <laughs> so should we maybe pump the brakes a little bit? <laughs> Are you saying not to get overly optimistic? Are you saying April third's not the time to start making plans for October? Well, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. It was awesome to be in that environment. <laughs> Though, Thursday. We didn't go to the game, but just downtown Cincinnati on Thursday was awesome and, and great weather for opening day for the Reds. Um, all right, the Pacers officially eliminated from the playoffs. They lose yesterday. They honestly played pretty well against Cleveland, who was at full strength uh, for about three quarters, but Donovan Mitchell had 40 in that one. The Pacers did beat the Thunder on Friday night. I always feel this way about a Pacers season like each of the last couple of years. I would say, Jake, there's probably like two to three games each year that I'm always just like, oh yeah, TJ McConnell won the game for the Pacers. And Friday night was one of them against the Thunder. Like, he just has that effect. You know, it doesn't happen on a night-in, night-out basis. But there's just one of these couple of nights a year where McConnell just takes over the game. You're right. Which I know sounds weird. He brings an energy, right? But he did that on Friday night and was outstanding. But it will be all about the tank standings here over the final week. Again, five, six, seven, and eight in the tank standings, separated by one game. The Pacers currently are in sixth in the draft order. By the way, last night in the association, the Spurs scored 142 points in beating the Kings. My obsession with how Romeo Langford's doing, if if San Antonio scored 142, how many of those were from Romeo Langford? Well, I, my first question would be, did he play? I feel I, like he's always hurt. I, I agree with that. But I'm looking this up because if there's ever a night where it's going to be like, okay, he broke out for, you know, 16 points, it would have to be when they score 142 in a game, right? Uh, Romeo Langford, uh, eight points, 0 for 2 from the floor, uh, zero rebounds, zero assists. No, he had no points. That, right, that's what I said. What I say? Oh, you said. Oh, sorry, sorry. Eight. eight I'm a little tired. Eight, eight minutes. minutes. Uh-huh. Eight minutes. Zero for two from the floor. Zero for one from three point range. Zero rebounds. Zero assists. One steal. Two turnovers. One foul. Doug McDermott had thirty for him last night. How is Doug McDermott not on a contending team? Yeah, you would think, right? What Just, is he doing on the Spurs? Scoring thirty. <laughs> I guess. Uh, Major minutes. That's what he's doing. He's hanging out there. Uh, Jake, yesterday, I thought it was a terrific race. And, and again, race. I, I, 
I know that I'm very much like, oh, casual IndyCar fans, sit on your couch and moan. Why don't we have more ovals? Find me a road course or a street race, Jake, that with six laps to go, you are saying white knuckle and Mark James is going nuts and all you guys, rightfully so. There was like five or six drivers that had a chance to win the race with five laps to go. Now, now wait a minute. I'm very flattered by this. Does that mean, did you just quote a phrase that I used, meaning that you actually might have heard part of the race? Uh, I did. Maddie was a under the weather yesterday, so Post Children's Museum went over uh, to Meyer, did some grocery shopping, and so that meant you in my ears for, boy, probably about 40, 40 solid minutes. Outstanding job by all of you. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I appreciate that. It is fun to do. Um, you know, we, we were all there, and... Man, I mean, it's it's almost hard to call because it's it's just constant, right? The side by side, and it's a shorter oval, right? So it's more compact. Yeah, it's a mile and a half, and it's banked, so it's it's kind of like slot cars. The answer to your question, Kevin, in terms of why they didn't don't do more ovals, I believe I don't know this for a fact, but I believe the answer is simple, and that is number one, there are some I think there were some politics of ownerships of racetracks and the competitive nature of that that goes into it and then secondly ticket sales quite frankly because on a road or street course on a street course for example like long beach you have tens of thousands of people that buy a ticket just because it's an environment it's an atmosphere it's you know it's like when they have irish fest downtown you're like oh i'll go and get a guinness walk around listen to music for an hour you bought your ticket right doesn't matter how into it you are you bought your ticket and Ovals are fantastic, and they they translate better on television, but they don't draw the crowds that a street course does. They don't Boy, sell the tickets. They draw TV entertainment. I'll they say do. that. You're Incredible. Right Joseph that. Newgarden, Edging Pato Award. Uh, after those two, it was Alex Pillow, David Malukas, and Scott Dixon, one through five. Uh, and again, LSU is your national champion on the women's side. Uh, is that number four for Kim Mulkey? Did I see that? I think that's right. First at LSU, uh, Caitlin Clark. She can coach. Say what you want. She can coach. Oh, certainly. Uh, Caitlin Clark was 9 of 22, was 8 of 19 from 3. She had 30 points, 8 assists. She did have 6 turnovers. Um, Again, uh, officiating-wise, LSU was really, I think, in control before the officiating took over, but uh, disappointed to see that. Hopefully, we do not get that tonight in the men's title game. Um, is this a big week for the Colts? We can chat about that on the other side. It is a nice, nice start to it this Monday nice here in Indianapolis. I think the temps are supposed to reach upper 60s today uh, before the rain, potentially tomorrow night. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5107. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
by the fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you on a Monday and a good-looking start to the morning. Jack Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Mark, who spent his entire weekend doing nothing but watching wrestling. Hell yeah. Sorry for all those that follow me on Twitter that don't because that's all my Twitter feed was. Last night, pretty good, Mark? Hell yeah. You Two know, good nights. The <laughs> I love the hell yeah. <laughs> the you Connecticut sound like a wrestling fan. The Connecticut-Miami game Twitter is not the end-all, be-all. I, I, I understand that. Sometimes it's probably a dangerous echo chamber or snow globe, but it seemed to me like more people were talking about the wrestling than talking about Connecticut and Miami. Yeah, that's probably fairly accurate. Um, the but other thing you that happens... really sustain after the first game. Totally. No question. And and I think, UConn got up, what was it, 14-4 out of the well, game? Well, that's it. Like, I mean, you kind of knew it was over right away, right? The other thing that happens in the world of sports is oftentimes... Like, I always liken it to the Indy 500. You know, you see one car for the first 50 laps of the race, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's that driver's day. And then something else happens, and another driver takes the lead, and you're like, it's that driver's day. They both look unbelievable. They kind of jostle back and forth, and then at the end of the race, you go, yeah, we probably should have known it was that driver all along. And I feel like the Colts quarterback chase is very similar to that, Kevin, like for a while, it seemed, you know, when Ursay made the comment about Bryce Young or simply said the Alabama guy, it was that was the slam dunk, no question. They're going to they're gonna do whatever they have to do. They're going to move up and take Bryce Young. Then it was like, you know what? C.J. Stroud might be the number one quarterback in the draft. Then they stayed at four, and now it's become basically Richardson-Levis in most people's eyes. I have felt from the beginning Levis is the guy. Richardson seems now to be the guy that's the, the front runner thoughts um we're gonna have nate atkins on at 8 30 jake and he was at anthony richardson's pro day in gainesville late last week and i think a lot of colts twitter chatter around that event what wasn't necessarily what richardson did i mean hell if you watch the combine you know anthony richardson in shorts and a t-shirt is going to wow you um that is exactly where he is at his best but the Colts did have someone in attendance there by the name of Morocco Brown, which I know that name might not resonate with every single Colts fan. For those looking at the hierarchy within their front office, basically Chris Ballard, of course, is number one as GM. Ed Dodds would qualify as the number two. And Morocco Brown, who has interviewed for some GM openings. Including the Bears. here, Yes, thank you, Mark. Um, recently he would be number three on that list. I, he just got a promotion. It's like chief personnel executive or you know something that looks really nice on the old business card. That is a far cry from what the Colts had at the Ohio State Pro Day or the Kentucky Pro Day, where it was really just the area scout. Just like the West Coast scout would be the only one at you know BYU's Pro Day or Oregon State's Pro Day. So... That was, I think, something to note. You know, you could probably look at it one of two ways. You could look at it and say, all right, the Colts are sending one of their more important personnel people to Florida because they want to get more intel on not only Richardson, Florida has other draftable prospects. Or you could look at it as, are the Colts trying to smokescreen everybody? Are they trying to say, hey, look, look, Morocco Brown's at Florida, everybody. Hey, we got a lot of interest in Anthony Richardson. A lot of interest in Anthony Richardson. But yet, they didn't send him to Kentucky. They just sent the Midwest Area Scout and Mike Lacey. This is like the push and pull, Jacob, this time of year. Is it lying? Is it not lying? 
Do you believe what these people are saying? Do you not? Do the actions speak louder than words? All of that has kind of run through my mind here over the last 72 hours. You know, somebody asked me yesterday, and I'm sure you've been asked this a lot, Kevin. So the Colts going to make a push for Lamar Jackson? And I think we now know that that... I'd be very surprised. Yeah, I mean, I think we now know that that that's kind of already been silenced. But the same reason why I don't think that they make a push for Lamar Jackson aside from the guaranteed money is the same reason why I'm fascinated by this quarterback, the situation, and that is this. The Colts not making a play for Lamar Jackson. They can say that it's about the guaranteed money or it's about the question of Lamar Jackson's health. Those are both valid points. But I think, frankly, the the main reason the Colts would not actually be in the running for Lamar Jackson is because the Colts know that they're not two to three years away. If the Colts were right on the cut, let me rephrase that, a quarterback away. If the Colts felt like they had a, a legitimately great roster and were only a quarterback away from contending, they would make that move. And I think that's what they that's the mistake they made when they went out and got Carson Wentz. And frankly, a year later when they went out and got Matt Ryan, the Colts fooled themselves into believing that they were a quarterback away and that it was just add quarterback mix and then sit back and watch. And instead, it was just add quarterback mix and then watch everything go up in smoke because the other ingredients in the water actually aren't very good. And I think they finally, to their credit, realized that. And we're like, you know what? Without saying we're going to strip this down and start all over and start watering a seed again, that's exactly what we're going to do because they know that they are not a quarterback away right now. And because of that, Kevin, I think that they know that they have the flexibility to get a quarterback that maybe they can be a little more patient on, partially also because the AFC ain't opening up for three years anyway. So you might as well get a guy – if you got to get a guy that, that you even sit for a year to watch Gardner Minshew and slowly work him in, I, I think deep down they know that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I also think it, it's um, it's all about trying to create a window that is a decade long. And I know that's ambitious. Well, and that's I a decade that's long ago. Goal. Means starting with a young quarterback, right? right as opposed right. to right, because Lamar Jackson in de- in eight years. I mean, hell, I think even less than that is not going to be the same style, the same effectiveness. In my opinion, just based off his injury history and his playing style, that he has been in his early twenties. And even with that, you know, you can obviously look at what Baltimore has experienced so far, and they haven't gotten, you know, to the. To the point that they would like to, with you know, again, arguably, maybe not even arguably, a better roster than the Colts have. Um, you know, Matthew brings up a good point here. He goes, "It matters zero who the Colts have pegged as the front runner. They get who the first three teams give them." Uh, I mean, that is true if they right. stay at four, right? But again, and, and that's been an issue that I've had. I think they should move up to to three if there's any separation. I think that's what this week could be about. Jake is, and again, going off Peter King. This morning, Peter King mentioning that the Colts um, are working out Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis. So they are working out all four of those guys this week. And to me, this is kind of everything that the draft process has been gearing towards for the Colts. The combine is one thing. A pro day is one thing. 
but what are these guys like in a behind-closed-door setting when your people are meeting face-to-face? There's not 31 other teams around you that are vying for their attention or for their time. Because you think about what Shane Sykin has said throughout this process. And, you know, Shane Sykin's resume indicates it. Shane Sykin has worked with all shapes and sizes, all different types of quarterbacks physically, talent-wise, runners, pocket passers, et cetera, et cetera. But what he has always said is the one non-negotiable has got to be how you're wired. Well, this is when you find that out. This is when Shane Steichen especially finds that out. And I think this week could and will be, if there is a separator that evolves, it will happen this week. And if the Colts all of a sudden get to the end of the week and they feel like there is a quarterback that has separated him from... If there's a third one that separated himself from the fourth one, you have to trade up. You cannot run the risk of waiting any longer. We mentioned it late last week. If you believe those out in Vegas right now, the Tennessee Titans rumored to trade up to that third pick uh, and possibly take Anthony Richardson. Um, You can't run the risk of Matthew's scenario playing out of the other three teams choose who you're going to choose it for. So do you think that Tennessee has already decided that they've seen enough of Malik Willis to know that he's not the guy. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if it's like a slam dunk they know that, but when you have a new GM and that GM did not select Malik Willis, not to act like Malik Willis was some super high pick, but let's be honest, Jake, he was a third-round pick. That was one round away from Jacob Eason. It's not like they they have a ton tied into him. And again, when you're drafting 11, when you're stripping it down like Tennessee is – You've got to look at all avenues. Um, but again, this sounds like a huge week for the Colts and exactly slotting what that order is. And for Shane Steichen and the others, how are you wired? What makes you tick? How do you process? You know, what you're doing, Jake, and having these guys in for you know private workouts, what you know, meetings, etc., you're getting them out of their comfort zone too. I mean, Anthony Richardson thrown indoors at Florida. He's with all his boys. He's in a familiar environment. They script exactly what the pro day is going to look like for him. Now you're getting them out of that. Um, And and we just mentioned the Colts have not had a huge contingent travel to these pro days. That, to me, is a clear indicator that this week is really, really important for them. And it makes sense. A week from today, they'll start their offseason program. So a week from today, Shane Steichen will be getting really his first taste of being the head coach of the Colts. They'll have a large chunk of their roster back in the building to start their offseason program. So this week is a perfect time to try and finalize whatever quarterback order you have. Now, now you mentioned that yesterday you said you listened to some of the IndyCar broadcast, right, from Texas? Yeah, I'd say at least over half. Okay, and and, and you said it was because you ran to Meyer for your, for your wife, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Now... The uh, I'm I'm curious here. Does that mean that you actually like put in earbuds while you were walking around Meyer, or did Correct. you go? Did you yeah. go to the Meyer in Batesville? No, no. Why the Meyer in Batesville? Well, because I'm trying to th- figure out if you were in the car for 40 minutes. Oh, to to I was going to say I, I I was driving through Batesville on the way home on um, on Saturday, but no, I I I rocked the earbuds and uh, listened to you guys, and again, it was a great great call. I've always wondered this, and I'm not. And be honest. Took me a few times to download the IndyCar app, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it confusing 
Like when you listen on the radio, is it confusing what's going on because it's so because there's so much going on in the race? No, I, I think you guys do a good job of making sure what battles are being fought for what position. You guys make that very clear because sometimes the best battle is thirteen Correct. for fourteen Correct. at this point uh, on a very close compacted track like Texas. You know, at one point you guys are like, "This is crazy." Scott Dixon is in fifth place and just got lapped by Pato Ward. Right. You know, I mean that. Again, like that to me doesn't really register. When I hear fifth, I'm like, you know, he's just a whatever half turn away from him. Um, and then Mark doing a rundown of the order every so often, I think is really important as well. So it's, it, it does get hard. You know, you're, I'm out there, I'm looking at the track, and and I mean the same thing for Mark. When we throw back and forth like that, like if you pick up a battle all of a sudden randomly, you know, your eye is looking like, no, no, wait a minute, where are they? Because they're all just, you know, once the leaders get into lap traffic, then it's like, oh man. I mean, it, it can get, you can get lost pretty quick. I think the hardest part that, and not to compare like radio versus TV, because I did listen or I did watch on on TV to the end, they just have more bodies than, than you guys have. Strategy is probably the one thing that I'm always needing to be like, kept abreast of of right. like okay who was on what tire strategy Fair. who was on what fuel strategy now again yesterday it worked out that you know Pelo was on you know much older tires than everybody else but for the most part you know any of those top five or six could have won and I did think James Henchcliffe and and um Townsend Bell uh, Townsend Bell and Lee and, and, and Lee Diffie did a really nice job in, in describing that at the end but again Jake I know I'm the just common IndyCar fan, you get this question a lot, but maybe it's not 80%, 20% ovals, but can we get it to like 60-40, no, 70-30 I, I think it's on fair. the schedule? Trust me, I'd love it. I love calling them. And love I know it. ownership, it's when you wreck, which obviously the intensity of the wrecks are much bigger. I mean, hell, we saw it yesterday with uh, Devlin DeFrancesco and, and, and Graham, Graham Rahal late in the race. I understand from an ownership standpoint, they'd be like, hey, let me show you uh, the crash damage that we have at ovals compared to road and street. But from a purely TV product entertainment value, the ovals 1,000% yeah. better than road course No argument. No argument. Uh, Nate Atkins going to join us at 830. Is that right? And I'm glad you're home safe. Well, thank you. I am too. You know. Did you stop at Frisch's Big Boy on the way home? There's one more, right? In, in St. Leon or maybe East Central High School. Is there one by you there? No, I... Byron picked me up in Cincinnati, and I'm like, and we just we stopped in Shelbyville for gas. And uh, oh, I thought you were going to say maybe the casino. Press well, your luck he, a little. He bit. actually said, "You want to stop by?" And I said, "Can you imagine the people that are probably in the casino at 11:40 on a Sunday night?" <laughs> like, yeah. but we, I asked if he wanted to visit the monument out out front of the Jake Quarry Early Childhood Home in Shelbyville, and he was like, "No, nah, we're good." Hmm. I said, "Okay." shocking he passed on that you know when we were driving home um the Milan exit maddie um referred to it as milan oh boy i probably have um, said that too i'm not gonna lie milan hoosiers mark i mean i'm I'm sure when i first came to indy that's how i pronounced it well you know i should be defending my wife here she has lived here for all 33 years you don't say you don't say versailles indiana do you No, a little bit of chicago action versillis right (laughs) (laughs) close yeah uh yeah nate atkins in a half hour and matt miller coming up at 9 30 uh the month of april is here three weeks from thursday nfl draft so each of the next few mondays we'll have a different kind of national draft voice on to get you set on what the order looks like right now and how the pundits are pegging things for the Colts at number four. Again, a really nice start to this Monday here in Indianapolis. Kevin and Corey on 93.5, 107.5. The- 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, 8 o'clock hour. Jake, 13 hours and 17 minutes until tip-off. <laughs> I'm going to sleep for like 10 of those. You're going to wake up at tip-off. That's when you're totally. going to get up. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be rough. You guys, you think it's bad now. Wait till tomorrow when it, like my body has no idea what time it is. Well, you know, the thing that I've done here over the past few years with now that I think sleep is you know, anyone's guess each night for me Um I'm like, do I stay up for one shining moment? And I always feel like oh. I have to. No. Well, why don't I just watch it on YouTube the next That's morning? exactly what you should do. You know, okay, two things about one shining moment. Like, what do I need to see? The IU cheerleader taking the ball off the top of the goal again? <laughs> Will Indiana make an appearance in one shining moment? Uh, Yeah, you'll have a Trace Jackson Davis. Think so? Moment. Yeah. Okay. Will Purdue. Certainly. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Oh, yeah. Florida Atlantic will. Or, well, excuse me, I mean, Farley Dickinson will. You will get audio. From that game, you'll have who was on the call? Debbie Anton. I'm trying to think who, who did the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying was it Spiro? Andrew history Catalog? repeats yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, Fairly Dickinson will have a 20 second snippet yeah. of, um, if not more. One shining moment. Strangely enough, and I know I ask you guys this, or I, I point this out every year. I will do it again next year if, if we're still here. Um, but my favorite trivia question: the very first ever college basketball player featured in one shining moment. The very I feel like you've asked this. I feel like you've asked that and I've completely I did. I, forgotten I did what last the answer year. is. The very first year for One Shining Moment was 1987. The first thing that you saw was the Georgia Tech yellow jacket. And then the first player scene was Dwayne Shensis of Florida. The late Dwayne Shensis, former Pacer of Florida. The, the one thing about One Shining Moment, I probably said this last year. It, I get like this melancholic like sadness in watching it. You know, like another, it, 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 it like it makes me, it, it harkens me back to like, I don't know, just like childhood or it's like, the, like a, another part of the year is over with or whatever. And then the other thing that happens when I watch it is it reminds you how big the, how many games there are in the tournament because it will show a play from round one or two and you think to yourself like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Whereas when it happened, it was like everyone was talking about it, you know? Like I haven't seen the Furman buzzer beater in a, or <laughs> exactly. buzzer beater in, in that's a couple a, weeks. That's a prime example, right? I mean, when it happened, it was it was just huge. Yeah, I guess I have a similar... I mean, first off, and I would think my wardrobe would, would give it away, I, this is one of my... This is probably my favorite sports week of the year um, considering what we've got starting on Thursday in Augusta, Georgia. But, and I said this to Maddie, I think, a few nights ago, and boy, was she thrilled when I said it. I told her, like, appointment viewing for sports for me, it really ends this week, Jake. I mean, the Pacers are done. They're out of the playoffs. We don't have a Major League Baseball team here in town. I mean, sure, I I, I will watch the Reds. I don't plan my nights around the Cincinnati Reds. NBA playoffs, same thing. I will watch, Fair. but like I'm not, you know, going to be grinding out against the. Oh yeah, give me the Knicks and Cavs series here. I really need to be locked into all seven of those games. 
I guess a little bit is the product of the market that we're in. But once the Masters ends for me, and arguably once the Final Four, I guess if you're talking about nighttime, once the Final Four ends, I don't really have appointment sports television schedule at night until September. Yeah, I think that's fair. Even NBA Finals and stuff? I mean, I guess there are pockets of it. I I will certainly watch it, but... I won't have just, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a fandom element to it, mm-hmm. which, again, I mean, tonight, am I really a fan? I just want a good game. Right. So, same thing with the finals. Like, when when I get around to NBA finals, Major League Baseball playoffs, keep the series going as long as possible. That's all I'm about. Like, tonight, I said it to Jake earlier in the show, when we get to that four-minute media timeout, can, can we please have it be a game? Can we please have it be one or two possessions? And, again, this is me probably reaching for something tonight. Like, I, I, I want to see this be a game. One thing that UConn has not ha- had throughout this tournament, no one's put game pressure on them. Mm-mm. No one has made it a game with four minutes to go. What happens if San Diego State can do that tonight? Do we see UConn get a little bit, whatever, sporadic and, and, and not be as just dominant, smooth, calm? Really, it's been one of the more dominant runs in tournament history. Okay, speaking of smooth and calm, I wanted to play the radio calls from San Diego State and Florida Atlantic on Saturday night. Now you have, is it Ken Lavecca? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the last one. He's He is the Florida Atlantic play-by-play broadcaster, and I want to give him a tip of the cap. He's speaking of the villages later this because- week to recap the season, <laughs> by the way. He, you know, here's a guy that's the radio play-by-play voice of Florida Atlantic basketball, meaning that, the only guy. I mean, they're, they're right. 17 years. There's uh, no color announcer. And like, you know, I mean, do they have a huge fan base and a huge radio following? You know, I don't know about that. So here you are, you're doing these games, and you have this moment where, oh my gosh, you know, they, this team might actually be playing for a national championship in two days, and you're, you're, they need one stop. And then you have, on the other hand, the San Diego State announcer that they hit a shot that catapults them into one win away from a national title. And the San Diego State play-by-play guy... Ted Leitner, by the way. Yeah, he's the voice of the Padres. I mean, he's a legend in San Diego. Christian? Um, <laughs> Ted, don't call me Christian Leitner. To me, the, these are two totally contrasting calls, and I'll just simply say that here this this the first one you're gonna you were going to hear is from the san diego state side the other one is from the florida atlantic side here we go that's for sure here's davis on the drive against ag puts it up short rebound ag ag got the rebound here are the aztecs down one four three lamont butler lamont butler pull up jump shot good 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 they're storming the court they're storming the court Who's going to the championship game? Not FAU. No, no, no. The San Diego State Aztecs are going to the NCAA championship game on Monday. How about them Aztecs? How about them boys? Pull up jump shot off the baseline in the near wing. Nothing but net for Lamont Butler. Mensa has it with seven seconds left now. Butler up the near side with five with four. Butler inside out dribble. Got to the right baseline with two with one. Butler jumper for the win and he made it. And San Diego State is going to the national championship game. 
Butler got it to go on a pull-up jumper. I, I thought the second call was much more – you knew exactly where he was shooting it from. You knew exactly how much time was left. You knew who shot it. I just thought he did a good job. I, I thought it was Probably more call. my style, the second one. First one, again, to me, has got more like a Vegas feel to it. And, and I don't know, maybe that's Mr. Leitner's style. Um, I just – I keep on going back to Brian Dutcher not, not taking that time out with his two leading scores on the bench. And I, I guess I understand his rationale and thinking – you know, get the rebound, get it up floor. You know, he mentioned like, hey, I've got my three bigs in the game. We've got a chance for an offensive rebound. But when you think back to that game, Matt Bradley was the only reason they even stayed in it for long stretches. And he's got him on the bench. And the calmness by Butler in that moment. Like yeah. when he got in the corner, that is when I was like, this is over. Because at that point, he wasn't getting a shot up any quit, you know, anytime soon. So your offensive rebound was gone. The high percentage shot seemed to be doomed at that point. I, I honestly thought he would make another pass. I thought there was maybe a chance Dutcher would take a timeout at that point. You know, if he gets kind of stuck in that baseline, you take a timeout, there's, what, 2.5 seconds to go, and maybe you throw a lob or you or you get Bradley in the game, and he's the one taking the shot. But then all of a sudden, he just kind of calmly you know, crossed over I forget if it was between his legs or not and got back to like an in rhythm moment and stepped into a mid-range shot and I mean it was impressive first buzzer beater first true buzzer beater of the tournament there by Lamont Butler how much time was left when he let go of it like 0.6 probably yeah it was one of those where you knew we got it off in time but obviously no time for Florida Atlantic after that and, and Boy, John L. Davis, the kid from Gary, he really, really struggled in that game. You know, a kid who was, I thought, pretty good for San Diego State. You remember the technical they had in the second half? The San Diego State kid, like, threw his elbow into the Florida Atlantic guy. Stomach, and they called the tech. Um, he came back and hit some big threes for them because they are not, Jake, they're not built to come back from 14 down. Like, they don't shoot a bunch of threes. Right. They're not well, fast Yeah, they are. Correct. They're... Their aggressive style of play is what keeps them in games. They right? grind it out, and really the offensive glass. I mean, they were huge offensive rebounding wise. And I, I will be curious, and I know this is a cliche, Jake. We hear a lot of times around the NBA draft. How many times in the NBA draft rolls around do you hear about length and wingspan and all of that? I do think you watch San Diego State play. And that's a huge reason why they're annually really good, especially on the defensive end of the floor. They they just have a bunch of grown men. <laughs> they're not the most right. skilled team, but they just have a bunch of grown dudes that oftentimes their defenses are calling card and throw it up there and go chase it. You know, you mentioned Davis struggling a little bit for Florida Atlantic. Uh, to be fair, Nigel Pack the same for Miami, right? I mean, that was a rough outing for him. How about him losing his shoes? Did, did the NIL not pay for another pair of shoes? That's unbelievable, isn't it? Like, the equipment manager, I saw somebody say, I mean, the guy's last name is Pack. How could you forget to do exactly that if you're the equipment manager, right? Well, plus, I'm also thinking, shouldn't Nigel Pack just run back to the locker room with the equipment manager to, like, if there's four pairs of shoes back there, just try them all on back there. <laughs> right. And then come, it's not like you need to be on the bench. Um, I also was thinking back to, I, I remember that happening to Butler. Um, Joel Cornett in a, in a tournament game, that happened to him. And that was one of those moments where 
and I don't know, maybe they don't have the walk-on the same size of Nigel Pack, but you know, wouldn't you think somebody on that bench has the same shoe size of him that doesn't get in the that's game? Good, that's a really good point. Would you, would you put on somebody else's shoes? It's kind of gross, right? <laughs> it's the final four. I guess you do it every time you bowl. <laughs> <laughs> do they have that little spray can? Uh, yeah, can you go back to the locker room, give me the spray can before I go back in the game? <laughs> the greatest disinfectant of all time, obviously. We're now, down 13 right now. Can you can you mind waiting a few minutes? When I was in middle school, we had twins. I won't say any names, but I had twins on our roster. And one was having a really good game but picked up three first-half fouls. And they switched jerseys at halftime. Oh, boy. Look at that. No integrity at North Central. Yeah. No that wonder was, you guys always won. Hail our cheating Panthers. <laughs> yes. It was Eastwood. I was in middle school. Oh, even worse. Beastwood, shall I say. Cheatwood. Yeah. Over <laughs> Come there on in now. Washington Township. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, this question came to me yesterday. Give us some names on that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the statute of limitations has passed at this point. Well, I, they might be known around town. They're twins. We went to Eastwood together. Uh, hey, right, Jake. Mark, Mike Byron. Who yeah. are the other names we've, we've been jotting down over the years? Farkas, they, does he have a twin? They live next door to Farkas. Oh, boy. Uh, hey, Jake, please take a segment to explain the IndyCar rules on when drivers can or can't pit, what wave arounds are, closed pits, and so on. Please explain bad and good times for a yellow flag. It's good questions. Um, and without boring everybody with an entire segment, on, I will simply say this, because it does get a little bit confusing, it, to me even, for that matter, when a caution comes out, and a caution flag comes out for usually one of three reasons, either because the league has noticed debris on the track, or because there is a an accident or a car that has, for some reason, stalled or gone off pace. So when that happens... Immediately when the caution comes out, the pits are closed. You cannot come in and pit. Um, When it first opens, the pits open for cars on the lead lap only in the beginning. So for the first lap that the pits are open, it is for cars on the lead lap. That essentially is twofold. I guess somewhat to reward those that are on the lead lap, but also to avoid because it gets... I mean, dangerous is probably the wrong word, but it's very easy for cars to get collected on pit road. So it kind of sorts that out. And if you are on the lead lap, you have the first right of choice as to whether or not you want to go onto pit road. The wave around is what's known, is what's called when anybody that's in front of the leader, um, the lap before they go to green in terms of the running order on the track itself they wave them around to put them back to the back of the field and the the reason for that so that that it is somewhat of an advantage for those cars but that is so that when they go green the leaders all are within sight of one another with with no cars in between to obviously make it for more excitement at the front of the field in terms of the best time to to pit when there's a yellow or when you hear people say like oh that was a bad time to pit you want to make your pit stops, if possible, during a caution. Because during a caution, there everybody's behind the pace car and there is a speed limit on how fast people can go. So clearly, when you come in to get service to your car or get fuel, your competitors are out on the track, but they're doing so at one-fourth the speed that they would be doing so if you pit under green. So if you pit under green 
if if Kevin and I are in the race together and Kevin stays out on the track and I come in for a pit, we both need to pit. I come in, Kevin stays out under green. He's turning laps at 220 miles an hour while I'm sitting getting service. I come out onto the track, and as soon as I come out, a caution happens. Kevin is celebrating because that means he can come in and pit when I'm forced, while he's getting service, I'm forced to be driving around at 60 miles an hour, and he loses less track time. There's your answers. Give me a few more ovals. Just a few. I understand crash damage, all that. Buddy of mine who's you know definitely an IndyCar fan mentioned earlier, you know, you get more eyes on TV. Naturally, that's how you're going to get more people to show up to the actual race. I, I don't think you can reverse it and hope that it's kind of the other way around. Uh, but when you look at the split right now in terms of how many ovals there are, uh, not enough, in my opinion, and just such an entertaining race yesterday in Texas. One thing I wanted to mention before we get to Nate Atkins here coming up, again, he was at the Anthony Richardson Pro Day in Gainesville late last week. Uh, Jalen Huchifino, Jake, officially declaring for the draft. That happened after we got off air on Friday. Uh, do we get to the midway point of round one? Before Jalen Hood Shafino's name gets called, I think that's right right around when it's going to be right. I would say, if I had to, I would say thirteen to seventeen is where I would slot him right now. Do a tankathon and find out. Oh well, here let, let's. Thank you for asking, Mark. Let's do that. Uh, We've done it for the Pacers pick. You might as well see where Jalen Hood Shafino six right go. now. The Pacers in the. Tankathon standings again, five, six, seven, eight, separated by one game. So that so will be we're doing to this watch. one just to see where Hood Shafino goes, not to see who the, where the Pacers land. Right, the Pacers right I mean, now. You could do both. At, you said sixth, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Okay, here we go. With the sixteenth pick, I was going to say you were scrolling a bit. And there. the 2023 like, oh NBA mocked ta- Tankathon draft. Sorry, I'm tired. Wasn't your best. So, okay, you want me to do it again? Yeah, we're gonna do. Re- it. I'll, re- I'll do the whole tankathon again. Okay, go ahead. Can you rewind that, Mark? With the 16th pick and the 2023 NBA Tankathon Draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Jalen Hood Shafino from the University of Indiana. Uh, by the way, with that mock that I just did, the Pacers drafting fourth, taking a Sour Thompson out of overtime elite. A 6'7", 20-year-old that averaged 21 points a game. Brothers, right? Him and his brother are both supposed to go in the top brother of the top a 10? sweet? A sour, a sweet? No. What's <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Amen Thompson, sixth pick in the draft to the Houston Rockets. You know, when I saw the Hood Chafino official declaration, I guess a couple things kind of... I was thinking about... You look back on that Miami law, and I, I, I bring up the Miami game because it was the last game I you played this year. Jake, Indiana, if you look at how many points they scored in that game, 69 points, they will lose 61 of those 69 points. Yeah, I mean... Trey Galloway had eight. He comes back. Malik Renew had none. Obviously, Malik Renew, you would expect, you know, is going to be a much bigger score for you. It's just a reminder of that Monday, I guess two weeks ago, when we talked about Indiana after that game, it's just such a stinging loss because, again, you lose so much. And, and the portal can offer a lot of good, but it can offer a lot of bad. Yeah, you're right. And banking on three or four impact guys out of the portal, boy, it's just wishful well, thinking. Well, and I mean, Kevin, in the portal, you're getting guys that are going to give you, what, maybe, maybe one or two years. So then you're right back to square one again, right? And, and the other thing I did think about, it, and this has got to be huge for Mike Woodson moving forward, because Jalen Huchifino came from Mont. Verde Academy, which, you know, by all accounts is the new Oak Hill. I mean, it is, 
you know, a handful of D1 guys every year. I know there's a kid, Liam McNeely, that I use really high on in the in the next class. Jake, it's not like when Jalen hood Shafino showed up on campus in Bloomington. It was like, oh, yeah, slam dunk lottery pick. He's only going to be here for, for one year. I mean, yeah, he was a five-star, but... And Jalen Huchifino, I thought his statement said this. I mean, he was abusive in his praise about Mike Woodson and how the Indiana staff allowed him to, you know, kind of play his game. And and obviously he had the position switch when Xavier Johnson got hurt and still, you know, had a really nice freshman season as Big Ten freshman of the year. I do think that is something that Indiana can pitch to future recruits or members of the portal and say, look what happened here. This guy came here for one year. He didn't just run off after a year. He got better here. He, you know, maybe was a fringe first rounder, maybe not even leave after his freshman year, and now he's being talked about as a fringe lottery pick. I do think that is something that, you know, should be beneficial now, for Indiana. Do you think and I, I, I don't know this. I have not heard uh, it, it doesn't appear as though he is going to be tempted by it. But Zach Eady's name is now in mock drafts as a second rounder. You know, three months ago, he was not thought of at all as being an NBA player. He was short and sweet this weekend when talking about it, right? This mock draft has him going 44th. I believe he just offered four words this weekend. He was in Houston, you know, collecting all the hardware for National Player of the Year, and when asked about it, he just said, I have no clue on his future. The longer he waits, is that bad for Purdue? Is no, he waiting on NIL? I think it's probably good. Confirmation, right? like how? Uh, yeah, probably. But I think it's probably good. I mean, he probably can make. He he's an interesting one because from the NIL standpoint, he may make more next year as a college player than he would for an NBA salary. But and as a second rounder, it would be non guaranteed. Whereas, like a Jalen Hood Shafino, people are like, he needs to go back and develop his game. I'm like, uh, listen. Jalen hood Shafino is going to do a better job developing his game, practicing throwing lobs to Zion Williamson every day, and then going into games and being guarded by Kawhi Leonard than he is getting ready to play at Minnesota. And if he gets hurt, if he's a first rounder, it's guaranteed money. You have to do it. You just do. I think a chance for him to be kind of a more dynamic Malcolm Brogdon at the next level. I think he plays with a really nice pace and Again, with Xavier Johnson getting hurt, the ability to play some point guard probably will entice him to some NBA teams as well. All right, uh, Nate Atkins in five. Let's hit a morning check down. We'll begin with the association. Last night, Cleveland over the Pacers, 115-105. Donovan Mitchell with 40 last night. Darius Garland had 20. Pacers now officially eliminated from the postseason. Benedict Matherin did have 19. TJ McConnell had 16. Kevin, were you celebrating the fact that uh, the, what do we call it, the tragic number finally hit? Well, I, again, I think it's a good thing. I tweeted last night, I will look at this season as you know pretty close to a roaring success for the Pacers. Uh, you found pieces in Matherin and Halliburton's case that I would consider kind of major pieces. You found some complimentary guys as well. I think Jordan Wara fits into that group. Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nemhard. Uh, you experience some winning. You experience some great late game moments. That's important for a young group. But at the same time, you have clinched that pick that in all likelihood is going to be in the top 10, maybe even the top 5. And that, you can make the case is the most important part. You know, uh, Jordan, Jordan Wara, I, when I have watched... 
he sits on the bench and he sa- he he says like to Benedict Matherin, great shot. And then he says to T.J. McConnell, nice shoes. Then he says to Miles Turner, love the hair. You know why? I do not. He's a complimentary piece. In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> I had my finger on the trigger on that one. What? You almost Excuse said it kind of mid-Jake statement. Yeah. Which I thought was I well said. Saw, we were heading us to water, and I was like, I, I can figure <laughs> where this is going. Listen, listen, you guys are getting this on three hours sleep. Can you imagine? Do you ever just thank yourself that you have access to this? Some would say you're on three hours of sleep a lot of the time during the show. <laughs> We've got three undefeated teams left in Major League Baseball. Can we name them? Yes. Uh, the three undefeated teams in Major League Baseball. New York Yankees. Okay. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll go Yankees. Um, Colorado Rockies and the Detroit Tigers. Mark? Oh, boy. Um, give me the Cardinals, the... Uh, Royals and the Mets. What do we got? I think we got a loud buzzer for all six of those. <laughs> uh, all in the AL, the Rays, the Twins, and the Rangers. You know, the Twins are undefeated because they switched jerseys at halftime. Uh, Indianapolis right. Indians, the Ofer. <laughs> in my opinion, that sucked. <laughs> That what was wrong? That wasn't even trying to be funny. It was just a oh. comment. Mark, did you go Friday night to Victory Field? I went Friday and I went Sunday. Oh, yeah. you got the the beer bat was there, right? Woo-hoo-hoo. Oh boy, was it <laughs> freshly stocked? Oh yeah. Are you wishing you had one now? Oh man, yeah. Mark, I, I could, right. I could double Monday, fist one they right have a now. Monday day game. Over Victory there, Field wants to send two over. I'll take both. <laughs> uh, they're off today in Louisville all week for the Indians. Rough, rough weekend the for the uh, Indians yeah. though. Lost two out of three. Oh and three. They're all three, yeah. Uh, Jake, we kind of were wishing he would stay in Texas, honestly, after the effort he's given the last few minutes here. Jake, you were in Texas yesterday for the IndyCar race and uh, some great theater, especially late. It was a great race. Pata Award looked absolutely unbeatable for the first three quarters of that race, but Joseph Newgarden clearly had a really good car as well, and it came down to, um, I thought, just a fantastic finish for the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 laps where they were essentially running side by side. And it was going to be a matter of which one probably just took the high line and used a draft at the end of the race. Late caution due to an accident from from Ramon Grosjean that allowed Joseph Newgarden to get the win. Newgarden, by the way, now has tied a record of Johnny Rutherford and Bobby Unser for most consecutive seasons with an oval win in open wheel racing. Those two guys combined for five Indy 500s during their streaks. Eight straight years with an oval win for Joseph Newgarden. And he would like the oval one coming up here yeah. in a little bit over a month. Uh, lastly, the women's national title yesterday, LSU, a championship game record. They score 102. I know a lot of people want to talk about officiating, which I didn't think was pretty poor. A lot of people want to talk about sportsmanship at the end of the game. If that was the men's game, it wouldn't even be a topic, frankly. Uh, how about how LSU played? Uh, they had three girls score 20 or more, and none of them were their best player in Angel Reese. Caitlin Clark was 9 of 22, 8 of 19 from 3. She had 30 points, 8 assists, and 6 turnovers. Uh, basically, I thought Iowa was pretty much down 8 or 10 before the foul trouble really became a storyline. Uh, hell of a performance by LSU, and Kim Mulkey gets her fourth national title. There was one point where I thought she was swinging at the ref, and they didn't call a tech for that. She, you know what? She's she's kind of Tom Crean, isn't she? Well, 
maybe in antics, I would say the coaching resume is a little different. <laughs> Fair. But, I mean, just in terms of like... Yes, there were moments... Like, are you trying to guard yeah. somebody? There's the infamous Korean picture at Penn State where it looks like he's guarding Tim Frazier yes. on the floor. There were some moments yesterday where I'm like, is Kim Mulkey guarding Caitlin Clark? Do you think Tom Crean's coaching days are done? He does a good job on television. Yeah, I agree. I think he does a really nice job on television. Uh, does a nice job, I think, on, on Twitter as well. Um, No, no. Tom Crean will do, uh, give it one more run. He will coach Western Kentucky. That's probably a pretty good call. Speaking of Kentucky, Nate Atkins was at the Kentucky Pro Day. He was at the Ohio State Pro Day, and he was also at the Florida Pro Day late last week. What did he observe from Anthony Richardson? We'll chat about that next with him right here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I think you could make the argument that our next guest has spent more time at quarterback pro days than important members of the Colts organization here over the last couple of weeks. Kind of odd how that has played out. But Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star has been a busy man in late March. Anthony Richardson's pro day in Gainesville late last week. Nate joins us now to chat more about that. And I guess uh, let's start there, Nate. You know, when you were at Ohio State, when you were at Lexington, Mike Lacey, the Midwest area scout for the Colts, was present. That was really it from a personnel standpoint. We obviously saw Carolina, Seattle, among other teams, bring a whole lot of important people. And then in Gainesville, it was Morocco Brown who, you know, if you're going to make a family tree or I guess more of a hierarchy of personnel people in the Colts front office, Morocco Brown would be third in charge behind Chris Bauer and Ed Dodds. What, if any, do you make of the Colts sending an important person to Gainesville but not as important to Ohio State and Kentucky? You know, I was interested to see Morocco at Anthony's Pro Day because they have been, they normally just rely on sort of the area scout to do these. That's why Mike Lacey was at the other two. But, you know, I knew he wasn't, he wasn't going to go down to Gainesville because it wasn't his area. So it's just kind of the way that it uh, divided up in a lot of ways, probably. So I don't, I don't read a ton into that. Um, it is just interesting that, like you mentioned, those other teams, Seattle and Carolina, sent their top guys to every single one of these. And it's, it, you know, you can read into why, like Seattle, there's a lot of, uh, there's noise that they might trade up, but there's also noise that maybe they're just trying to get other teams to trade up. So some of it's for appearance, but I was a little surprised that the Colts didn't have more people at these pro days just because of how big this decision was. And, um, and if you get, gain even maybe 5%, 10% more understanding of kind of who a player is and, and what he means to his teammates and coaches in his environment, I think that's helpful. So. Uh, the, the whole thing is a little surprising to me. Nate, what's interesting to me is, Nate Atkins is our guest, by the way, on the Panthers Stickers Hotline. What's interesting to me is oftentimes we, and I think maybe we just naturally default to this, we we sit there and we assume that the Colts are smoke screening and playing cat and mouse and being vague and coy. And then when it's all said and done, we look back at it and go, you know, they pretty much said this is exactly what was going to happen. If that were the case in this scenario, the indications would lead towards which quarterback being the guy that's the guy. 
Um, I think if you want to take it back to just the things that they've said and lined out in a quarterback, and the most the most likely scenarios, if you're just going to go off that, is probably Will Levis. Um, Will Levis has fit a lot of what they talk about just on a kind of personal level, the obsession that Shane Steichen brings up all the time, uh, and just the kind of demand that, they, that he has for a team. That's kind of what stood out to me going to Lexington was every player – or coach, you asked about Will Levis. Like the second you said that name, there was sort of like a light in their eyes, and it was it was almost just like Kentucky does not often get something like this, but that's something they felt like they needed that leader, that that guy that kind of had the tools and traits that could match up with anybody in the SEC. And obviously, at times it didn't all come together. But what they seemed to respect in him even more was kind of how he handled the adversity. And we heard so much about. Uh, that's a program built on self-awareness and kind of working through disadvantages because that's their existence in the SEC. And they just really loved how Will came in there and, and kind of made that program his own as a transfer from Penn State. And they win 10 games his first year there. It's the um, ties the most wins they've had in in like four decades. And last year did not go as well, but, you know, it, it could have gone a lot worse. Uh, na- nightmare seasons in the SEC usually end up worse than – seven and six and so it's just it's kind of there's an interesting context when you're actually there and and understanding what he meant to them but also the fact that they're not you know they're not disillusioned to the struggles that they had and in the way they believe that they that made Will Levis better Uh, so I think I think he probably fits that and I mean that in the in the sense of he's got that with kind of all these healthy traits they look for as far as you know the build in a quarterback and the uh, the ability to make plays uh, you know if you just take it, you know, on a further level, just the, the basic description they have is a lot of Hen and Hooker. You just wonder if, you know, if the injury changes a lot of that. But Hen and Hooker, you know, did not to get too sidetracked, but he did a lot of the stuff Will Levis did. He just did it at a higher level and for two years at Tennessee to where they beat Alabama last year and, and win 10 games. So really there was a lot with Hen and Hooker that I thought tied into especially the way that Chris Ballard talks about the position uh, the difference there, though, is you know the the traits, the things they're looking for in a quarterback are not currently present in him because of the ACL, or because of the knee injury, and so it's hard to read kind of what <laughs> how much that's going to matter to them. And obviously, if they're picking it number four, I mean it has to matter. They have to you know they they have to believe in the investment they're getting. So that's why I put Will Levis a little bit higher there. But I think there's definitely a world where Hendon Hooker fits a lot of that as well. And then Anthony Richardson's more of a guy that like. They're looking for those things in, and they may have found them. They, there's a lot to, to learn about Anthony. We just don't have the, the, the body of work to know this on the same level as these other guys. But that's why I consider them all very much in the conversation. But that's kind of how I'd pick it right now. Good. Nate Atkins is with us from the Indianapolis Star. He has been a busy man traveling around to Pro Days here over the last couple of weeks. I want to focus on Richardson and Levis here for just a second, Nate. Um, you know, when we've heard Shane Steichen talk, I think a lot of the separated for him will come neck up. You know, how are these guys wired? What, what, what makes them tick, et cetera, et cetera. But I think physically he's mentioned accuracy, you know, and, and, and how that, you know, translates at the next level. If you look at the sheer numbers, Will Levis 64% in college, Anthony Richardson 54%. I'm curious if you've taken any sort of deep dive into that. Like, you know, was Richardson a guy that threw more balls down the field? Did Levis throw more balls, you know, near or behind the line of scrimmage? Anything you can speak to uh, when it comes down to just like those sheer accuracy numbers? Yeah, I think on a down-to-down accuracy scale, Will Levis is 
ahead of Anthony Richardson. He just he's he's been in more offenses. He's been in three different systems in three years, and the last two at Kentucky have been much more like what you see at the pro level. It mirrors a lot of kind of what teams like the Rams and 49ers and Vikings and Browns do uh, with some of the under uh, center play action, uh, kind of wide zone run scheme type of stuff. Uh, you know, there's just a lot more that they get to in terms of progressions and, and reads and, and things like that. Whereas I think Anthony Richardson, it was all just so new. He, you know, they went from Dan Mullen to Billy Napier, kind of scrapped a new offense and then threw him in as a first-year starter. And I just think they never really built up much of anything. And, you know, that that really came out, I think, in just kind of, kind of what to trust in the passing game level. The receivers uh, never quite were on the same page with Anthony Richardson. And so I think what ended up happening is just at times they – you know, the strength of their team was the offensive line, the ability to run with Richardson in, in the backs that they have. But when it came to time to pass, they, they just kind of put a lot on Anthony to just go there and create. And when, and when it gets to that level, that's more create down the field and create kind of with his legs, throws on the run. There's these extended plays that, that would be, you know, more difficult plays to pull off. And so those are some of the ones where when there's nobody else in the field they're throwing on air, those were the impressive throws that Anthony Richardson had, just the ability to get the ball down the field as much as far as he did accurately on the move. He showed a lot of that. But it's it's when you're trying to do that against SEC competition and they have better players than you do, uh, that's when I think that completion percentage kind of stays low. And I just don't think that they they developed enough or maybe had enough time to get there with this young quarterback to where you know, they had these, these set plays that would get him in a rhythm and get him going. And you even saw that a little bit in, in just his throwing, throwing sessions, that even some of the easy plays when he would drop back and throw like a hitch route, slant route, a swing out of the backfield, sometimes that, th- those would be the passes that would be off for him. And it almost was like there's just sort of a lack of reps, lack of continuity in those kind of plays for him. It's a lot of the stuff that I remember they used to see in Josh Allen where they just hadn't, built that into their offense. They didn't trust it, so they didn't run enough, so it wasn't as crisp as it should be. So I, I think that there's reason for concern with Anthony on that level, but at the same time, there's he just didn't get to that part of the progression and was you know in a situation where the, the way they were playing wasn't going to be high percentage in the SEC. Nate, what do you make, if anything, I don't know if you saw the Peter King report earlier today, but him saying that the Colts are going to work out all four of these QBs, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, they'll work out all four this week. Um, just your general thoughts on that. Yeah, it's interesting. So they're going to work out all four in person while not sending their top personnel to any of the four. It just feels like a way to kind of keep it consistent. You know, that's just the way they've chosen to do it, invest in the scouts at the pro days, but really dive in on them one-on-one in the facility. And I know they've always really, really valued that with all draft prospects, this feeling of when when you're here at our facility and, and we're in conversation and we're in, you know, we're in meetings and then we're in workouts, kind of how do you operate and how do you, how you come across to everybody and they kind of get this big picture look at it. This is going to be a very involved process for them. Like it was for the head coaching search where they bring in kind of all the voices they trust within the organization to give some level of input. And at the end of the day, it's Chris Ballard and Jim Mercy and Shane Steichen are mostly, you know, are going to be the three that work through it. And ultimately it'll be Chris Ballard's call, but Chris Ballard leans on kind of all these people to give some kind of insight into what they're seeing as far as, you know, what this person could offer on a day-to-day basis. So 
I guess they're just trying to get you know, to to really put everything on that that they're they're going to study and, and learn from as many people they can talk to. I know they've done homework on these guys, talking to the uh, all the people around them, the people in their background, trying to get a sense of what their day to day routine is, and then they want them to almost sort of display it there on a on a home visit and uh, or, or an in house visit and just compare the four across the board. It's interesting since it, it sure seems like at least at least one, if not two, of those quarterbacks are not really realistic for them anymore. But, um, you know, we talk about not tipping their hand and just they laid it out that they're going to look at all of them. You know, this is their method of doing that. Nate, was there any moment during any of the workouts that you've seen where you saw an incident of a body language or kind of a – you know, in other words, everybody's down there and they're watching the way a guy throws or watching the footwork, whatever else. Be it good or bad – was there anything at all from any of the prospects that tipped their hand as to just what kind of guy they are? Where you thought, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think there are moments like that for all three of them. Uh, you know, specifically the, you know, like with like with Will Levis, you know, the, he was throwing in in you know he he threw these receivers who really really wanted to put on a show for him, but. You know, it's, they're running these difficult routes. They're running these, you know, these deep wheel routes and these fades that go, you know, 60 yards down the field. Or right when they turn out of their break, it's it's sort of the hardest throwing ball you'll see on a football field. And some of them would just, you know, they didn't always connect. And he was he was at, at times sort of, you know, he's laboring through this this throwing session at the end and, and during these hard passes. And they weren't all being caught. And I just kind of noticed how. Um, how much his receivers were bothered when they didn't catch it, whether it was their fault, whether it was slightly off, whatever it was, they they might get one foot in bounds but not two, but they got really upset at themselves for not delivering there because, like I said, every time you bring up Will Levis to anybody there, it's almost like it's like you brought up someone incredibly personal to them, and these are guys that are going to come back to Kentucky. Most of them, they're you know they're going to play with some other quarterback. This guy is going to go somewhere in the first round and, and a lot of other factors will be out of their hands. But they really felt like they owed it on that day to give Will Levis the best chance. And they were almost kind of just like grateful that he brought all this attention, cameras, NFL network, all of that to them. And so there, there was sort of definitely a leadership feel I had that day from Will Levis. Um, the other two, you know, I just think they showed little bits of their personality um, throughout this, you know, Will Levis, like I said, he at the same time, there's, there's always this feel with him, and I'm curious how it comes off the teams. Is that there is he's a super confident guy, and he talks about, you know, he he talks about you know the struggles and the adversity is like this has been a positive and it's built me in this way. And I guess you could look at that and think like you know when he talks about having a cannon and how great his arm is, that maybe that comes off like it's it's not his fault, but he also when you really dive into it with when you and you match up with these teammates, I think you see that it's more like he, he decided he was the one to lead them and he's going to lead them with confidence. And if it's too much, it's too much, but it's not too much for them. So I thought that came out from his teammates pretty well. And then the other two, I think showed you know, they showed sort of their levels of confidence, ego and comfort kind of in their own ways. CJ Stroud, not running the 40. I just thought it was interesting because he came out at the combine and said his goal in this process was to prove his athleticism. And if any teams had any questions, he was going to put them to rest. And then, so I was just curious why he didn't run that uh, after saying that. And he just sort of like very confidently kind of laughed it off and just said, well, the teams that I'm talking to don't need me to run it. 
And that, to me, kind of indicated that he knew he was going pretty high in the draft and that he was kind of having the singular focus of, like, I'm going to become – I'm going to double, triple down on what I'm really best at, which is throwing. I'm going to throw some on the move. And I'm going to trust that the team that takes me is going to dive into the film, dive into my last game against Georgia and understand that. And I won't need to run a drill in order to be the guy for them. There was just such a confidence that he's going to show up and be that person. Uh, and then I think for Anthony Richardson, it was sort of like, you know, levels of just, he was just so in such a happy mood and such a good zone being in his backyard in Gainesville, throwing these uh, routes to, to guys that he, you know, that he played with. And he's, he's kind of on the doorstep of a dream here. And everything was so like, there was no nerves or sort of frustration from him. Even at one point he throws a ball and he hits uh, the rafter at the, at the indoor facility, the same way Will Levis did. And just immediately he starts cracking up. And later he talks about it and he said, well, I saw Will Levis do it, so I tried to throw a little bit harder. I think it was just sort of him playing that off a little bit. But that just shows you, like, he, he lives on such joy with this stuff and these plays that don't all come together exactly the way they're supposed to. You know, he, he just kind of he just sees it as like he's a young quarterback who's going through it a little bit. And he, he hopes that you're going you're gonna to buy into the athleticism and the upside and understand this guy's 20 years old. And it's not going to be all there right now, but he is that confident that it's going to get there because he has all these skills and he believes he's going to put in the time and the work ethic. And just, it was just interesting to hear him really light up when you talk about the things he's able to do, the difference, the rare traits he has. And then if you kind of brought up any of these kind of negatives and concerns, it was almost sort of brushed off as well. That's the thought that's out there, but wait till they actually like let it play out and let it, and see how I'm going to do this. It was a very different approach than Will Levis, who's kind of very, uh, you know, almost I wouldn't say bristling at the criticism, but very very aware of it and addressing it head on. It was just two different um, levels of approach there, but two guys who were you know a few years apart and several years apart in playing experience that just kind of showed the level of trajectory they're on right now. Nate, last one for me, and again, Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Stars with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, whether it's Lamar Jackson's reportedly public demands, what he wants financially, or the asking price that you know Baltimore um, has with that non-exclusive franchise tag, I just don't view the Colts that realistically involved with Lamar Jackson right now. What do you think would need to change? And I don't know, maybe you feel differently, but what do you think would need to change for Lamar Jackson and the Colts to be something that is realistic? Yeah, I'm with you, Kevin. I, you know, I thought it was more realistic kind of before I heard Jim Irsay's comments at the owners' meetings, and only because at the end of the day, like everything else, Jim Irsay holds the final keys on this, especially if it's a contract matter. And it, it came off to me as if, you know, there, there's a real concern from Irsay about uh, the demands that Lamar has for a highly guaranteed contract, especially if it gets into, you know, several years, four or five year deal, the amount of money that it's going to take uh, to guarantee a way, put into escrow and put all in your eggs in that basket. It, it very much came off as problematic to Jim Irsay for where he stands guaranteed deals. And also I think what he went through with Andrew Luck and just the risk of losing a quarterback to injury to something you can't a hundred percent control. So I think if there's, if there's a way, it's that, you know, it's got to be that Lamar Jackson is just ready to move on from Baltimore and that, uh, and that he sees the Colts as just the, the right next place, the best next step, even if he's not getting everything he wants in terms of guarantees. He's willing to dial that back and especially dial back the length of the deal to where, 
you know, if they have to put a lot of money in escrow, it's, you know, it's, it's three years of it rather than five. And you just kind of have to see the Colts as a place that, uh, that can fulfill their promise. If they promise to him, hey, we're going to lower the guarantees, we're, you know, but we're going to find a way for you to sign multiple deals here. We're going to keep you healthier. We're going to get you out of this place where there's questions about your health. And I think they have some ways of doing that with Shane Steichen and um, leaning on Jonathan Taylor and throwing the ball more than he ever threw in Baltimore. It, it, it just takes a lot of different, you know, negotiations like that for a franchise that I don't know has, you know, as much uh, benefit of the doubt anymore after, you know, they've been through this with veterans and they, they haven't fulfilled all the promises and it hasn't worked out. It just surprised me if, if that, um, if that works, but if it does, it's because it's, you know, they're the one team that's willing to, you know, engage enough on this. And then Lamar's got to be ready to move on enough to where, you know, that ends up being a good enough compromise, good enough bet on himself that they can do it. But I think it's going to take a big time compromise between the kind of guarantees he wants right now and the kind of guarantees they're willing to offer. And Nate Atkins has been at Columbus, Lexington, Gainesville, all those pro days. Colts will start their offseason program a week from today and sounds like this week going to be a very big week for the Colts with those private QB workouts. Nate, great stuff, man. I hope you've enjoyed the travels, and uh, thanks for uh, uh, coming on here the past couple weeks. Yeah, for sure, guys. Happy to be here anytime. It's Nate Atkins right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Again, this week from Peter King that the Colts will have private workouts with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will But if Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud blows them away, Kevin... In your opinion, that means that A, they are covering their bases should, for some reason, those guys fall, or B, they are making sure that it's not still worth them moving into the position to get them. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I would guess A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't see, especially because Carolina's already moved up. I, and, yeah. And Houston, are you well, really yeah, going mean, to trade back get, with a team in your own division? Right. Um, I just can't see that. Uh, unfolding. Uh, we'll get more of a national draft perspective coming up at 9.30. Matt Miller from ESPN. You've heard him on these airways before. Um, he's going to join us again to talk a little bit more big picture stuff with the draft three weeks from Thursday. Uh, you're listening to Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Thanks to Nate Atkins for his time. Matt Miller going to join us coming up in 30 minutes. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen and Mark Dykton. IndyCar yesterday in Texas, kind of a planes, trains, and automobiles to get back. Made it back via Cincinnati after, and hopefully safe travels this morning to my colleagues, Michael Young, Mark Janes, Nick Yeoman, who drove back. They Dallas had really bad storms. I think they had a tornado warning at Dallas Love Field, which is the Southwest airport. So they shut down that airport and... They had us coming out like late, late, late today. So I managed to get lucky and go to DFW, get a flight to Cincinnati. Thanks to Mike Byron for picking me up. That's friend of the year right there, Mike Byron. Oh, yeah. Friend of a lifetime. (laughs) He is that. uh, No doubt about it. So he 
he picked me up and we made a little road trip out of it last night and, and got back here how's boo doing by the way your first uh adventure away from the cat how did he handle it so boo was good actually it's funny when i boo had some people over yeah he did yeah they watched the game saturday night Kegger Aquarius. Uh-huh. Dad's going to be home late, guys. What's all this green laying around, all this catnip around empty here? Shiba cans all over yeah. the place. Sunday fun day for Boo with Dad. Uh, uh, Boo ripping. When I called Shannon pits. to help her, because Shannon's a travel agent, when I called her and I'm like, hey, can you help me get a flight home? And she's like, okay, I will, but like I'm over here at your place now with Boo, and I could hear him in the background. He was good. When I got home last night, um, he hopped up and went to sleep, and so it was good. So it was good. His first first weekend alone after uh, hell, he was in jail a week ago. So jail, <laughs> you know, damn teenagers. That's right, Mark. Uh, tell me about what happened with WWE. I, I mean, I know obviously they had SmackDown or whatever. No, they no, call it. no. What, what what do they call it? WrestleMania, my well, friend. What's the difference between that and SmackDown? Oh, a great deal. Oh, SmackDown's yeah, a weekly program, and then Smack uh, WrestleMania is the uh, sorry, that's the, the Super event, Bowl right? of it's the Super Bowl five hundred, the Daytona five hundred, right there by you. No, okay. So, well, listen, I, I got two hours sleep. Have a heart. Um, but there, they were bought, or there was a like a unification of sale or something. Right? Yeah. So they had their big, obviously WrestleMania last two days, Saturday and Sunday in L.A. happens. Very good show both nights. And then uh, this morning, boom, uh, WWE has been sold to Endeavor, who also owns UFC, for reported $9.1 billion. So the merger of WWE and UFC with Endeavor is estimated to be about $21 billion in total. So the, the McMahon family, Vince McMahon, all them, no longer the major stockholders in WWE. Endeavor takes over 51% of the company. So what okay. do you think? I mean, it was. It's a long time coming. That they've been saying it for a while that that was going to uh, going to occur. And now, the day after their uh, their biggest biggest event, uh, new ownership. You think those audiences are that? Like, do they mesh? I mean, like, is it if you like UFC, you like WWE? Uh, I, I don't. There was a little crossover appeal, I guess, at the time because like Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey, they're both in WWE now, and they were UFC. But I, I don't. I'm personally not in that group. Right. I'm sure there are people that follow in that category, but not I don't per se. Now you're you're a diehard when it comes to the wrestling stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Been watching it since I was a kid. And do you have a favorite wrestler? Uh well of all time, yes, yeah, Shawn Michaels. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did I see McAfee and Kittle last night? Yeah. They uh McAfee and Kittle were on Saturday. Kittle was there again. Al Michaels was in attendance. They were showing him. There's a there's a bunch of celebrities all over the place. Uh, speaking of celebrities, I don't know how many will be in attendance tonight. It's just the second time in national title game history that we don't have a one, two, or three seed uh, playing for a national championship. It's only the second time, you said? Second time in history. So was Butler, Connecticut one of those? Um, you've got to go back. I believe it was UConn, Kentucky. Um, what was that, 2014? Okay. Um, I think UConn might have been a three seed the year the Butler played them in a national title game. Uh, can you recall? I mean, I guess that would qualify. You know, UConn Butler. I was going to go back to UConn, maybe Georgia Tech. I I can't recall. Maybe it was 2014, but I just think the name brand of Kentucky still carries enough weight. Um, probably a least anticipated national title game oh, this yeah. night. I mean... Like, viewership, I think, will be down. Jake, hell, if you wanted to drive to Houston last night, I know it's not very close. You probably could have got in the gate for oh, I, <laughs> pretty good money. To, I tried flying to Houston, night. Oklahoma City, and San Antonio, all three, to get a flight out 
Um, but same problems everywhere. The It's really interesting to me, Kevin, that you make the point about Connecticut and television ratings and everything else because, you know, I, I looked this up and I'm going off the top of my head here. So Connecticut, if they win tonight, that will be their fifth national championship, okay? There are only the only schools that have won five titles would be UCLA, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Indiana, Connecticut. That's it, right? Now UCLA won their from the first time that they won a title to their fifth title was six seasons. That's pretty impressive. Connecticut will have done it one to five in the second fastest amount of time in college basketball history. Three different coaches too. Correct. Actually, they're tied with they were tied with Duke for 24. Indiana's took 47 years. North Carolina's took uh, like 50 years. Kentucky, I think 30 maybe. But yeah, three different coaches, essentially all in the same turn of the century. I realize the first one came in 99, but I mean that's impressive. You're you're talking every five years, Connecticut wins it. Yeah, and it's not like. Calhoun left it stocked for Kevin Ollie, or Kevin Ollie left it stocked right. for Danny Hurley. And with Danny Hurley now, Kevin, it feels like it's like okay, well, they what stops them from becoming the next Duke? Yeah, I mean, and, how and old I don't think he? they're super senior laden. You know, it's not. Yeah, obviously, we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, it, it's one of the more impressive tournament runs we've had, I, I think, ever. Just with how dominant they have been throughout, and yeah, I've mentioned this throughout the show this morning. But you watch them on Saturday night, and because I felt this way about. Miami at times watching them in the tournament and watching them during the ACC but Connecticut just they have nobody on the floor that you look at and say oh yeah we don't need to guard him out there or yeah we don't need to worry about him right. driving everybody you have to worry about I mean look at the big dude and how they started the game on Saturday night Sonogo is like oh you're going to leave me open yeah. from the top of the arc <laughs> I mean the, <laughs> boom yeah, they, boom he hits two threes in the first like four minutes of the game and it's just they have no weaknesses. And they have just, in this tournament, Kevin, jumped out to leads where you're like, it's over, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and then when they've needed to, they've just they've answered every run. Um, again, if San Diego State can somehow muck it up, get the game into the 60s, I say 50s, there's no chance UConn you know, only scores in the 50s. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Seven and a half is the spread. I thought I saw the over-under mark. Did you see it? Was it like 130? Does that sound mm, right? Let me pull it up. I'll check for you. It might have changed. It's tad low. I'm going to get San Diego State again. Wants to keep things low scoring if possible, but uh, 7.5 for San Diego. or uh, Yeah, 7.5 point underdog San Diego State. 132.5 is the over-under 32 right half. So... Yeah, what, 64, 57-ish, something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. Not overly high. San Diego State does have, and we saw with Alabama in the Sweet 16, I mean, they are a different-looking team than a lot of what I think UConn has faced throughout this tournament from just a length and defensive mindset team, but um, I see 7.5, and, and if you were going to make me pick, I would take UConn. I probably won't touch it, but I would take UConn. I think San Diego State... Can surprise can make it surprisingly close, but they can't get behind like they did Saturday night. Correct. If Connecticut gets out to that like a fifty, you know, 10, 10, 12 point lead early, it's probably gonna be a long night. Yeah, that was really fortunate them with all those offensive rebounds and coming back. If if you want to. 
Purdue fans should hope for a blowout because then it's fewer people that will be watching One Shining Moment and reminded of Fairleigh Dickinson, right? Right. I'm trying to think of the moment you will get. Do you think they'll show like Tobin locker room? You think you'll get that? Like we can beat Purdue? You think they'll play the audio of that? I mean, I'm trying to think of like the iconic moment from that game. Probably didn't they hit a three? Like it was a five point game for Purdue. And then fairly Purdue fans are loving have, this right now. Didn't they have way. a three-point play that gave them the lead back with like four minutes to go? I, I think it would think. probably just be... I knew they had one of the threes where they kind of pulled the ED away from the basket. He didn't go all the way out there, and the kid hit one from I the think top it would just be the call of like, you know, Fairly Dickinson becomes the second 16 seed or whatever the call was. Somebody asking in the chat, does uh, Jim Nance sign off with goodbye, friends? I am curious how he will end it. Tonight is his final. Mm-hmm. But it's not a final broadcast, right? No. no, He's no, going to no. say hello, friends, as soon as the Masters starts on Thursday. Right. But this is it for national title. Ian Eagle, right, taking over I, next year? I believe so. That's who it is? Uh-huh. Okay. Who I think is outstanding. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, 239-1070 is a telephone number. Jeff's been waiting, right? Yep. Yeah, Jeff, want to talk IndyCar. Jeff, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, query, first uh, on the dock here, um, North Central High School. Those boys uh, wouldn't have the uh, first initials of B. Uh, their first names wouldn't have been B and B. Uh, the twins? You talking about the cheaters? The, the, the twins, yes. <laughs> that, that is not correct. It was at Eastwood, okay. not North Central, but no, they did not have, they okay. had uh, okay. differing first initials. All right. So, hey, on to bigger things. So, so I thought the IndyCar race was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I don't remember if that was 93 or 94 when uh, Jimmy Harbaugh um, just absolutely shocked, uh, you know, the country um, with the uh, the Colts run to the uh, 94. Let her rip. 94. 94. Yep. But, uh, you know, I came home from church yesterday and I turned on my television. I watched that race. And I got to tell you, honestly, I really thought it was one of the best IndyCar races maybe that I'd seen in a, in a couple of decades. The IndyCar did such a good job getting that aero kit just right. And it seems like, I, I know last year it was a good race, um, but it wasn't anything like, like this year. And I think all those guys that went home after the the truck race and then watch the highlights um, yesterday. We're like, wow, we went to the wrong race. Um, that was just phenomenal. And, and I'll tell you, the passing, just amazing. And, and I think most impressive was after the race, we didn't have to hit, hear Will Power go, oh, man, like, what were we doing out there? Like, like we all could have died, and uh, it was just so scary. And, you know, you get these, these young drivers coming in, and they're just ready to go, and they're ready to race. Well, Pato Ward is... Jeff, that Australian accent. That was pretty good. How about that? Um, Pato Ward is a phenom, I'm telling you. Like, he... I think he could win Indy this year. Hell, His oval history year. is absurd. Yeah, he's fearless, and you know he's he's energetic, and he's just man. There's he, he just he controls the car. I, I mean, it truly is amazing. And Newgarden obviously is a great talent. There's a lot of talent for sure. And is there any takeaway from yesterday and how the racing will look? See, that's in less than two months. I don't know on that, the next oval here in Indy. I don't know that anybody knows that for certain, because, and I'll tell you why, Kevin, because... It's kind of always a question. The the there. banking in Indy is 9 degrees, 12 minutes, right? That's as much as my geometry as I, I know. Can but, you put that into our elementary... I know you're taking advanced math right now, but... Um, 
the banking at Indy is ex- Indy less is severe. very less severe. Indy is basically a rectangle. Even though it's an oval, it's basically a rectangle go, rectangle because the banking forces you to make the turn. Texas, the banking is 24 degrees, so it is a much higher bank. So as a result of that, it is like a slot car. The inertia just kind of carries you through, and it allows those drivers to use. So you can go two and even three wide in the turns in Texas. You cannot at Indy. So at Indy, you got to fall, somebody's got to fall back every single time. So Indy's more challenging, probably. Um, but yes, from an aerodynamic, yesterday was also the perfect conditions to race because it was cool. It wasn't overly hot. The, t- the rubber likes that. The cars were stuck. It was a great race. I mean, it was a lot of fun to call. Um, you know, it harkened people back, I think, to the days of you know the old IRL when people loved watching that stuff. You know, I know I've kind of been on a soapbox about this today, and I get that it's not realistic, Jake, to have five to six guys all with a realistic chance to win the race with five to go on every single oval. Like right. that, that just doesn't happen. But you know, find me the last road course or street race that didn't have a restart with one or two to go. That with you know one to one to two to go, there's three or four that even have a chance. Not right. even five to six. Well, there were definitely. They were three to four for sure, right? I mean, you kind of knew that Newgarden and Pato Award, they had been the best cars all day. Yeah. I mean, but Alex was Pelot lurking. was right yeah. there with them. Dixon made a run, you know, I think with like four or five to go. So just great. Herda got up there as well. It was great. Great, great theater. Mark, you said that uh, you had an interesting Colts related message. Yeah. So Eric slid into our show DMs over the weekend. He had an interesting question. It was It's a bit kooky, but stick with me. I thought it'd be interesting to bring up to you guys. Okay. He said, fun question for the show. A time traveler comes back in time and simply says, quote, the Colts will not select a QB at number four in the 2023 NFL draft. He then disappears and back into the portal. What can you assume best happened? They traded up, traded back, or picked a non-QB at number four? Transfer portal? I was a little... little <laughs> the time traveler is coming out of somewhere. I guess the time traveler is Jordan Geronimo, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to Auburn. Uh, the Ruiz guy from Miami is bringing him to... Um, it's a good question. I, I you trade back and Chris Ballard go hand in hand. Obviously, you need two to tango there, so that would be the one place I would pause. I, I might go with Will Anderson out of Alabama, and, and you know what? I, it's I am team draft quarterback and team draft quarterback for years now. I just that's the path you have to go down um, to try and achieve the most success you can have in the NFL. But if you were to say, here's an edge rusher that's giving you a dozen sacks for the next decade, boy, that would be hard to turn down, wouldn't it? I would say that it's a great question. If they do not draft a quarterback at four, I'm in agreement with you, Kevin. I don't think they'll trade. I know that Ballard has liked to trade and move back and collect picks and everything else. Um I also think if you look at – you'd have to look at when they have dropped back and picked up an additional second or third round pick. You know, what players did they get for that? Where What was the payoff? Well, let, let's go back from 2018 when they traded back from three to six Okay, with the Jets. So they traded back from three to six. They got the additional second rounder, which – I, I forget exactly if they took Braden Smith with their own second rounder, if they took Darius Leonard with the Jets' second rounder, but obviously those are two really good players you got. And then in the next draft, you got the Jets' second rounder, which you know I think ended up being. I would have to look closer at that. Was it Rocky Scene? I think it was Rocky Scene actually. Um, 
again, moving back three spots in a draft that you weren't going to take a quarterback and you were able to get Darius Leonard and or Braden Smith. And I know there were others involved in it. I think Jordan Wilkins had a pick involved in it. Um, I'd have to look closer at it. But that obviously worked out great for the Colts. That was a great trade and really needed at the time when you're going, when you're having such a big overhaul defensively. The reason I ask that is because does Ballard look at some of the when Ballard has tried to get big def- and he he's done a nice job on some of them. Don't don't get me wrong. But he's also had some swings and misses, in particular at the defensive side of the ball early in the draft, like in earlier rounds. And so does that give him pause to again accumulate like third and fourth round picks and think that that's going to be the answer for him and so if there is a guy like Will Anderson on the board does he say you know what I I can't pass on this we'll we'll get a quarterback another way but this is too good to pass on because I know how at times difficult it can be to hit at this position later I think the other question you would have Jake or at least I have is does Jim Irsay mandate quarterback at four? You listen to Irsay's comments from the owners' meetings. It's hard to think they don't sit there at four and take a quarterback. I think it's possible that Kevin. It's possible that they may look at it. I don't know if 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 Ursay necessarily would think this, but is it possible that Ursay can be convinced? You know what, Jim? There are not four franchise quarterbacks in this draft. You know what I mean? That that we're better off... So then trade I, up to three. The, okay, let me... There's not a franchise quarterback in this draft, is what I mean. You know what I mean? Is it possible that they say, look, just because we need a quarterback does not mean that the quarterbacks in this draft are guys that you build around. There's not... I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm saying, right. is it possible that they th- that they think that? That they say, you know what? I know everybody thinks that there are four franchise quarterbacks in this draft, but our expertise tells us, no. There are four possibly good quarterbacks in this draft, but there are not four quarterbacks that you mortgage your future over, and passing on better players at four would be mortgaging our future. Is it possible they think that? That's a question we can throw to Matt Miller coming up in about 10. Um, ESPN's Matt Miller, NFL draft analyst, going to join us in 10. Let's sneak in Phil before we get to a morning check down. What's up, Phil? Okay. Well, Phil, then what do you think happens there? Like, oh, boy. It's my time to shine. I just hated hearing Kevin's voice. I was hoping Jake would bring bring me on. What did Phil want to chat about, Mark? Uh, he, he He wanted to talk about a number of things he said, but he mentioned Iowa and UConn. Did any of you see, and I, maybe I was the only one, when I saw Iowa LSU scrolled uh, like on the bottom ticker, like on Saturday and like leading into Sunday's game, I thought it was the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> I, I thought the Outback Bowl was being played. Did you ever? Do you ever have this? This happens to me a like, lot during. Is Kirk Ferentz facing off against Les Miles? Well, here? given the start time, I wouldn't have. You know, right? And ABC as well. I'm, I'm like picturing Les Miles in the visor on the side. Do you ever have this happen to you during the middle of February? Like you wake up on a Saturday and you're looking at the ticker, and it's like, you know, Iowa State seventy two, Kansas forty seven, and you're like, holy cow! Like Kansas got they're, they're number one in the country. They got beat by twenty. And then you look, oh yeah, NCAA W. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. On the ticker. You're yeah. Like, oh, okay. yeah, the women's Pulled scores, again. too. And there's many times as a Notre Dame basketball fan, I've kind of hoped that the men's team has been the women's <laughs> team. Are we getting Micah Shrewsbury this week, Mark? I mean, the line is out. Again, I... I they're like mentioned that he Kevin was shirtless. I'm like, is that a, that's not going to want me? them to come on? I don't think that's the bait that we want. I, 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 I think that's a that's a great. We're trying to entice him to come on. Yeah, not I think scare it's very enticing. I, I think you're better off saying Kevin went to Cathedral. <laughs> it's probably better off, right? Hey, this guy was shirtless because you got hired. Do you want to jump on for a few Jake, minutes and talk to him? How do you get your resume to the top of the stack? You don't get there by saying, "Oh, I went to high school, same high school." You say the guy had the shirt off when you were hired. You has know that has he has he seen the photos? That's why they're slow on the return. I think Michael would have an appreciation for. for the you know photos. what you should do? You should send him the photo of Kevin with his shirt off next to ET, <laughs> and then send it to Micah Shrewsbury and say, "We just want to know if you can phone home." Well, I think he would say one look and be like, "Our strength and conditioning program will be a major focus here." And <laughs> I'd love to come and talk to that alien anytime. How many Notre Dame basketball games in your lifetime have you attended, Kevin? Ooh, it's a good question. Uh, probably two dozen. And you get like totally hyped for it, like when you're in the atmosphere. And oh yeah. I mean, I hate that the Crossroads Classic is done. I thought that was my favorite day of the year. Went to a game at Miami of Ohio once, at Cincinnati once, at Louisville twice. RCA Dome mentioned that to Jordan Cornette a few weeks ago when he was on. For I was before or after he was talking about my playing days. Second, <laughs> that was great. That was great. Um, all right, uh, morning checkdown time. Before we get to Matt Miller. Jake, the Pacers are officially eliminated from the playoffs and or play-in. They lose last night in Cleveland. Actually competed pretty well with the usual suspects resting, tanking, however you want to call it. No Halliburton, no Turner. Uh, They really were competitive for much of the first three quarters. Donovan Mitchell, though, 40 points. The Cavs win 115-105. They are sixth now in the tank standings. The Pacers, Rick Carlisle asked afterwards, if their approach will change at all heading into the final week of the regular season. Our approach is going to be the same. I mean, you know, we're 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 competing. It does no good to step onto an NBA court and and not compete. And this is this is where, you know, the way we're set up with our young guys, you know, it, it really is a great opportunity for them. You know, we get New York twice. And I can guarantee you New York's going to be trying to win those games. You know, that's just that's how they're built and uh and then the Detroit game, you know, we'll, we'll see where we are when we get to that one. But um, this this period of the last two and a half, three weeks is, is very valuable. Uh, by the way, last night in the association, the top two leading scores, two guys had 40 last night in the league. One played at Kentucky, one played at Louisville. Mark, you got a guess? No. Well, Mitchell, of Donovan course. Donovan Mitchell had 44 Cleveland last night. Uh, Booker? Devin Booker? Good guess. Anthony Davis. With forty in the Lakers, one thirty four, one hundred nine win. Are the Lakers going to get in? I think they're they'll be in the plan. Problem right? with the triple double, man. Eighteen, ten, and eleven, and AD. That's the formula now, right? Is AD is your go to, and LeBron's your facilitator. Yeah, looking out west right now, the Lakers are the seven seed, so they would just need to win one of the two playing games to get in. They're only a half game back of five and six. The West is crazy heading into the final week of the season. How about Shaden Sharp, by the way? 27 last night for Portland. Is that because Portland sucks and somebody's got to score? It's a type of trajectory, though, you wanted to see late in the year. You're right. Him Tyson Daniels up. doing. Remember, uh, he was a, another one that we... I'll be he's honest. He's the one that I wanted. He's in New Orleans, right? Every mm-hmm. time I hear him, I think of um, the other Daniels in the news right now. 
I always think of vacuums. <laughs> I'm like, are they okay. are they related at all? Well, there we go. What? The Dyson? Has what it been a about? stormy rookie season for Dyson? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I was thinking more of the vacuum, but anyway, we'll move along. He's averaging uh, 3.8 points a game. Mm, well, Stormy could be receiving a little bit more than that. Um, all right, moving on to Major League Baseball. Uh, we mentioned it, three undefeated teams to opening weekend. Are you surprised there's only three? Yes. This early? Absolutely. Rays, Twins, and Rangers, so all in the AL. Uh, if you're looking from a local standpoint, uh, Mark Tucker Barnhart goes back to Cincinnati, right? Yep, yep. Tucker Barnhart probably going to hopefully you know, be in the backstop these next three games. We'll see. Cubs won the opener, lost two to the Brewers then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reds, flip of that. They lost the Pirates in a really competitive game uh, on opening day. Then they won both of them this weekend. White Sox, 2-2 two and two start. Guardians, 3-1. and one. They were out in Seattle. The Cardinals take two or three from the Blue Jays. Now, now wait a minute. I want to see here our our Paps Blue Ribbon Derby here. The, the records so far. people are so in this far. thing again? Well, I'll... I'm with Kevin. Let's just keep track of our little okay. group. I'll be honest. Here, right? I thought you'd be like, I was just looking up pictures of Stormy just to see, <laughs> see where we're at. Okay. So, of the three of us, the one that has the most wins at the end of the year, mm-hmm. Kevin's Oakland Athletics, taking a look at them, they are at one and two. Mm-hmm. Mark, your Arizona Diamondbacks, currently the Diamondbacks at two and two. Two and two. The cute fella Baltimore Orioles Mark's also won two and two. two so much. I kissed the sky right there. That's, Mark's yeah. are half game up. I mean, the A's won their opener, and I'm like, hell yeah, they're going to win a hundred this year. Uh-huh. Nothing like they're baseball. Fifty eighth of the way to where they're supposed to be. Nothing like baseball fandom on April third. I mentioned it earlier. The Reds started last year two and two, and then they lost twenty of twenty one. I will say I'm a bit concerned because the uh, run differential for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've scored seven runs. They've given up twenty. <laughs> They're two and two though, They're right? Two and two. Although I guess Kevin's isn't two. Kevin of the Oakland A's. Yeah, three runs scored, twenty runs allowed. Yeah, well, you know, record, record, all that, all that matters. <laughs> Jake though, Baltimore piling it on. You know the Boston Red Sox have scored nine runs in all three of their games. Total or each each game? No, each game they won nine to five. They won nine to eight. They lost ten to nine. Mm. To the cute fellow Orioles. Oh boy, it's entertaining nonetheless. <laughs> Uh, yesterday in the women's national title, it's Kim Mulkey getting number four, her first um, at LSU, 102-85 over Iowa. It's a shame that, you know, really one of the finest championship performances you'll ever see. LSU was outstanding. Um, it's been dominated by poor officiating, and for some reason we're talking about sportsmanship when if that was the men's game, uh, we'd be laughing at it. You're right, and Caitlin Clark, who's a phenomenal player and drew a lot of interest towards um, you know, the women's Final Four, people were upset because she was taunted a bit by LSU. Uh, she did a fair share of that in her own right of other teams that she played. She's a she's a demonstrative player, and what goes around comes around. Uh, she was 9 of 22 yesterday, 8 of 19 from 3, 30 points, 8 assists, and 6 turnovers. I hate policing against sportsmanship. Did Angel Reese go a tad overboard postgame? Uh, probably. But again, I we see defensive backs celebrate over receivers and, you know, oh, Justin Jefferson, I'm going to do the gritty in your face and I'm going to dunk on this guy and stand over him. No issue about it whatsoever. Uh, Matt Miller, ESPN Draft Analyst, next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, three weeks from Thursday, uh, we'll find out the answer to what the Indianapolis Colts are going to do at number four overall. To chat more about that in the NFL draft in general, one of our favorites from ESPN, he is Matt Miller, NFL draft analyst. Matt, before we get into the Colts-specific discussion, uh, let's fast forward to the year 2034. Um, Who will be the best player in this draft in the year 2034? Will, we do this. We do this all the time with with guys like Will Anderson. We get through the process, and you kind of forget about them. I remember this happening to Nick Bosa when Nick was coming out of Ohio State. Everybody, ah, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? And what about Cleveland Farrell? Like, no, no, no. Like, he's Will Anderson's been the best player in college football the last two years. I, I think that's been forgotten. Over fifty tackles for a loss over 30 sacks he is he's the best player in this class who is not a quarterback so he hasn't been talked about a ton because it's a quarterback driven offseason but if i have to take one i'll take will anderson okay so that leads to my question is he a good enough player that a team in need of a quarterback shelves the quarterback need to take him if he's available it's possible. Um, it, it's, I saw say it this way. Carolina, no. They traded up. They gave up all that to get a quarterback. They're going to take a quarterback. I think Houston at two is more, more interesting than people have realized. I wrote back at the combine that I had people in Houston telling me, hey, like a quarterback's not, not a given at two. Now, that could be a smokescreen. Absolutely, right? Which is why you kind of have to put it out there. Oh, like, we'll see. You know, we'll see if we believe that or not. Um, I, I do think it's possible. Now, for Indianapolis specifically, no way in hell. Like, There's no way that you can take Will Anderson over a quarterback, even though I think Will's great. I, just, I feel like you know whether it's ownership, the fan base, you guys in the media, people like me in the media, uh, Chris Ballard would probably not be able to, to you know, keep his job if they, if they don't answer the quarterback question again. Like, if you're going to say, hey, like, we're cool with Gardner Minshew, we're going to take Will Anderson at four, I, I feel like that, you know, there'd be a riot uh, down, down the streets of Indianapolis. Matt, in your opinion, and hopefully this makes sense the way I ask this, is this a draft that has four quarterbacks whose talent are all so strong that it merits being four of probably the top five picks? Or is it simply a draft where four of the top five teams selecting need a quarterback, thus we have selected four that would be the guys taking that high? This is a draft where so many teams need a quarterback, guys are going to get drafted higher. And I think that's the fun thing about a mock draft is based on like what, what I hear from teams you know what, if I talk to fellow media members who I trust and they say, like, hey, we're kind of hearing it this way, okay, that a mock draft is a predictive uh, board. My rankings don't look anything like a mock draft. You know, I, I don't have – I like Anthony Richardson. He's my number 17 overall player. I have Will Levis in the, the mid to late 20s right now. They're going to be drafted much higher than that. So I think it's definitely a year where we're seeing some – you know, manufactured grades. I, I think that happened in 2021 as well when we saw five quarterbacks go in the top 15. I didn't personally think Zach Wilson had any business going number two. I didn't think Trey Lance was worthy of the number three overall pick. He wasn't the third most talented player in that in that draft. 
Um, so I, I think this year is a little bit similar in that I think Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are, are really, really good quarterbacks. And in most drafts, they're going to be QB1 or QB2. Anthony Richardson, I totally, totally get the appeal. Now, Will Levis, I, I don't get it as much, but I, I think we're if we see those four dudes go in the top five, it's not because they're good; it's because they're those teams need quarterbacks. Okay, Matt, I want to focus there for just a second. Matt Miller, ESPN draft analyst at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You said Richardson, and I forget the exact number, 17 and Levis middle 20s for you in terms of your draft board. Why is you know C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young clearly on a tier that's yeah. infinitely higher than the other two? It, it's honestly as simple as accuracy. Like I, When Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud throw the football, I, I know where it's going. And they know where it's going as, as well. You know, I think with Richardson, it's been broken down. I'm sure you guys have had people on have explained it. Um, it's, it's mechanical. It's not that he's not seeing it. It's not that he's a slow processor of what's happening in front of him. It's mechanical. That you, you can, in theory, fix. So I feel a little bit better about that. With Levis, I mean, he's a little bit of an older guy. You know, couldn't get the starting job at Penn State. So you transferred to Kentucky. And when he had, you know, so a weapon or two and a good offense coordinator, he looked okay. But he still turned the ball over 13 times, 13 interceptions in 2021. Uh, this past year, he threw his 10 interceptions. That's what I worry about. So I think with, with Young and Stroud, I'm really confident putting them in my top five. I'm confident putting a starter grade on them because the accuracy is there. I mean, to go along with things like poise, command in the pocket, uh, they've both shown an ability to get out of the pocket and make plays happen. Well, even if it's not running for first downs, it's extending plays, it's creating on the move. They have the athleticism to do that while also being – very, very good pocket passers. They can throw to every level. I mean, they can they can truly scatter the field with the ball and and do that at a very accurate clip. Okay, how close would Hendon Hooker be to Levis and Richardson? He's pretty close for me. If it wasn't the ACL, that's the ACL and the scheme scare me more than the age. I mean, he's he's twenty four years old. I think he turns twenty five in December. The ACL scares me more than anything else because it was November 19th. So you're, if, if he's already 24 and he's going to miss a year, then you start to be like, okay, this guy's a little bit advanced age. And I, I know quarterbacks are playing longer than ever. I think what scares me most about the age is you're a little bit more physically you know, developed at 24 than you are at 19 or 20. I think that's that's kind of a given. And you worry a little bit about, okay, is this guy who has like – you know, grown man strength is he beaten up on 19, 20 year olds playing in the SEC? It, it does answer some of those questions. You feel a little bit better about it. Um, I, I have Hooker graded pretty highly. I had a first round grade on him before he got hurt. He's number 27 on my board right now. I think he, he has the tools to be a starter in the NFL. The scheme there at Tennessee, I mean, I know you guys have seen it. It's a lot of tempo, it's a lot of vertical stuff. Um, they're really using, you know, the wider field with the hashes and college to their advantage. I think that's going to take a transition to the NFL, but every one of these guys has something that they're going to have to work on. There's no perfect prospect. Everybody has points of improvement. And I think for Hooker, his points of improvement are, man, this dude did not turn the ball over in college in a scheme that took advantage of the situation. No, let's just, you know, let's build a scheme that works for what he can do. You know, he throws a beautiful deep ball. He's athletic. He's big. He's tough. I think you can, you can find a way to make that work in your scheme. 
Matt Miller is our guest on Twitter. He is at NFL Draft Scout. He is on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Matt, a year ago, or roughly thereabout, when the Colts acquired Matt Ryan, and I don't think you were wrong here, so this is not me picking on you at all. You said the best quarterback Chris Ballard has had, no more excuses in Indianapolis, time to win. I think that was uh, both a rational and common thought, and obviously we know what happened there. Do you believe that the seat is warmer for Chris Ballard and has the national narrative on him changed? I'm not saying completely gone south, but has it changed a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when Chris was hired out of Kansas City, I, I think it's we got to go back in time and remember, right, that he was the most sought after next guy up at general manager, and he had had the opportunity to pick his spot, you know, to turn down interviews, which normally if you're a GM candidate and you start turning down interviews, those those interviews go away. But with Ballard, that didn't happen, you know, and, and he was able to say, I want to go somewhere in the Midwest and raise my kids in that area. Cool. He goes to the Colts, and it's like, this is a perfect marriage. You got Andrew Luck. He's going to be able to build a team there. So I, I think, you know, we can all say, hey, Chris was dealt a bad hand. His head coach backed out on him, and his quarterback retired. But it's also been long enough that you got to fix some of the issues right. that you inherited or fix some of the issues that you created. So I'm still a, a fan of Chris Ballard as an evaluator. I think he's a fantastic scout. Um, has he done enough in Indianapolis for me to say, okay, we were all validated in our thoughts, Jim, or I was validated in my thoughts? Absolutely not. And I, I think the seat is deservedly warm, hot, heating up, however you want to say that. I mean, you've got a gigantic need of quarterback that has existed from the moment you got there. And you've tried all these different avenues to fill that need, which is why what's why I say that. I think this year like you have to answer the quarterback question long term. No more band-aids. You know, I was not a Carson Wentz guy, which is why I tweeted the Matt Ryan thing. Um, I, I thought Philip Rivers' arm was shot when he was in with the Chargers, which is why, again, I thought Matt Ryan, hey, this is a guy that's been doing it at a, at a good level, at least, and we, we saw that not work as well. So it's not just the quarterback position. You know, I think we can look at this roster top to bottom right now. It's not very good. So I, I do think there's a lot of pressure on Ballard to get this right and get it right in a hurry. So to get a sneak peek at your mock draft, you were saying that you you know it's based on chatter, you know yeah. tea leaves, everything else. Uh, Colts select who? Which quarterback? Right now, I would say Will Levis. Yep, that's um, exactly I, I, what I, I think. Yeah, I I've been putting that out there for a while. Um, <laughs> I don't love it, but I I would like to think that they have a plan to make that work. Uh, I'm I'm anxious to see what Shane Steichen does as a head coach anxious to see what that scheme looks like, um, how it changes from what they did for Jalen Hurts. You obviously can't do the same things for Will Levis, but Will is very athletic. He's got a, he's got a very strong arm. Um, and I, I think he's going to come into the NFL guys with a chip on his shoulder. Um, I've heard that, that, that. His interviews with teams, you know, he's a little pissed off that everybody's talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson and not him. So I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, which could be a good thing. Matt, we'll end with this and appreciate the time. Again, Matt Miller from ESPN is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. From a local angle, we'll throw a couple names at you. Michael Mayer going round one. Is he the top tight end or no? He is for me, and I think he should go round one. Absolutely. Okay, and then uh, how about the Purdue guys? Where do you think, and this is obviously more middle to late rounds, um, Aiden O'Connell and then Payne Durham and what appears to be a pretty deep tight end draft? Yeah, I would say both those guys, day three. Aiden O'Connell had a little bit of buzz for a minute, you know, that he could maybe go higher. I'll tell you, when you said Purdue, I thought you were going to ask me about Charlie Jones and Corey Trice. Oh, okay. I like them. 
I like them better. Like I think I think there's a good chance that that Corey Trice and I would say Trice then Jones probably go higher than O'Connell and Durham. Like four ish, five ish, right around there. I wouldn't be surprised if they if Trice went third and Jones went like late third, early fourth. Boy, Jones had a hell of a season. He did this year. It was I love, fun to watch. Love Charlie Jones. Like yeah. I want him on my team. You know, yeah. if, if I if I take Chris Ballard's job in the next twenty four days, we're drafting Charlie <laughs> there, Jones. There are a lot of people around here that will come pick you up. Yeah, he sold his house about a month or two ago. I think a lot of people would have said, "Hey, Matt Miller can move That's into right. Westfield." Hey, uh, give give Jimmy my number. Uh, we'd have a good time. <laughs> well, uh, he's hired uh, people from ESPN before, right? On I mean, that yeah, front. I've got the I've got the pedigree. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, great stuff. Always enjoy our conversations. I know it's a busy month of April for you, so thanks for making time for us. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. That's Matt Miller right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Interesting on the Purdue front. That'd be good for those guys. Third, fourth. Charlie Jones and Corey Trice. Again, tight end-wise, I wanted to get to that with him. It sounds like tight end, really deep draft class, uh, defensive end, and cornerback, which, Jake, if you looked at the Colts' cornerback depth chart right now, it would be Kenny Moore, Isaiah Rogers, and Dallas Flowers. Yeah, I mean, you got to get depth there. A lot, and a lot of it. Corner, O-line, could use some help. Right now. All right, we'll end uh, the show with Pop Quiz. 317-239-1070. Give us a call for Jiffy Lube Oil Change. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Very manageable pop quiz, Kevin. Okay. The old Very kiss of death manageable. from Jake Quarry here <laughs> right. on a extremely sleep-deprived Monday. Nap is going to feel good for Jake and Boo. No doubt. Here in a bit. Uh, Mark, a number one through eight. Uh, let's go fast fingers, Jackson. Jackson. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Jackson, how we doing, man? Hey, not too bad. Jackson, do you have any rooting interest tonight in San Diego State and UConn? Um... I'll probably just root for the underdog, but not really. I'm an IU guy. I was pulling for FAU in Miami. God, boy, when that shot went in, the first thought I have is just, boy, Dusty May. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, you just never know how many more of those moments you're ever going to get. Jackson, San Diego State's kind of cool, though, don't you think? Just because it's something different. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely gonna root for the for the underdog for yeah. sure. Plus, cool. I kind of like the COVID angle we brought up earlier, Jake. Like, you know, they were a team that was thirty-one and two during yeah. the COVID year, yeah. and you know, get the tournament obviously ripped out for everybody, but for them as well. So, um, all right, Jackson, appreciate the call. Uh, Jake, you want to lead off? Yeah, I'll lead you off here, Jackson. You ready? Uh, baseball's <laughs> opening weekend is in the books. Three teams open today, still unbeaten. Which of these teams is not among the unbeatens? So three of these are unbeaten, one is not. Twins, Rangers, Rays, or Guardians? Guardians. All 
right, number two, Jackson. LSU is your women's NCAA, men, uh, NCAA women's basketball champion. Uh, while it was the first time for the LSU program, it was the fourth for Tigers head coach Kim Mulkey, who won three titles at Baylor. Mulkey is the first head coach to win an NCAA women's championship at different schools. Name the only men's coach to win NCAA basketball tournaments at multiple schools. A, Rick Pitino. B, Gary Williams. C, Roy Williams. D, Bill Self. I I think Patino won at Louisville and UK. Okay. So let's go with Patino. If you're looking for confirmation, I think you're right. All right. We were talking about San Diego State, Jackson. The Aztecs are in the title game for the first time while UConn is going for their fifth title. Who did UConn beat to win their very first national title in 1999? Was it Michigan State, Florida, Duke, or Georgia Tech? Man. Never forget, my parents didn't yeah, let I, me. I that. Um, parents didn't let me stay up for this one. El Amin and those guys. I'm going to say Duke, but I'm not sure. Kind of an upset, that one. Ricky Moore was big for UConn in that game. All right, number four here, Jackson. Great start. On this day in 1988, Wayne Gretzky's streak of leading the NHL in scoring is snapped at seven straight seasons. Who beat out the great one for the scoring title in the 87-88 season? Uh, Denise Savard, Mark Messier, Mario Lemieux, or Dale Howarchuk? Boy, got to go with uh, Super Mario on that one. All right, here we go, Jackson. Last night, the Utah Jazz lost to the Brooklyn Nets, 111-110. That's the 11th time this season that Utah has lost by a single point. That ties an NBA record. Which other team had 11 games where they lost by one point in an NBA regular season? Was it the 99 Pacers, the 73 Chicago Bulls, the 62 Cincinnati Royals, or the 56 Minneapolis Lakers? Hey, let's go with the uh, the 99 Pacers. Jackson, it sounded like you had a reaction to the question relatively early. For a moment there, I thought that you knew it, like, right away. No. No, my, my reaction was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Typical <laughs> question number five was, was probably what the reaction was. Uh, incredible effort from Jackson. Solid. Uh, again, the following teams, not among the unbeatens. Three unbeatens. Twins, Rangers, Rays. He was right. The Guardians are not. Correct, uh, uh, he was correct that Rick Pitino won yeah, in 1996 in Kentucky and then kind of won at Louisville. I feel like Not Roy Williams is kind won. of the slip up there. You know, you think that Roy won one at Kansas, don't I you? I know. I know. Uh, UConn in 99. I'll never forget waking up, asking my dad who won. It was Ricky Moore and UConn beating Duke. Yeah! Claude Alamine could have played fullback, I think, in the NFL. Uh, you know, Khalid, I saw a great joke once that just said, pot pies. And then on the flip side, it said, what are Khalid Elamine's two favorite things that drove him out of the NBA? <laughs> yeah. Probably enjoyed some mother bears. Is that bears a Johnny and- Carson bit? What was that? Kinda, Karnak? Yeah. Yeah. Stores Connecticut mother bears or Avers deal. Uh, Duke was correct. 77-74. Did you just say that? You, I told yep. you I'm sorry. Sorry. Mario Elamine was correct for question number four. Man, number five. This was tough. The other team that lost 11 games by one point in the NBA regular yeah, season. He guessed the Pacers. Scotty, I assume they are up there on the list. Scotty says he has no idea. He just threw that on there. The 98-99 Pacers. The 72-73 Bulls. You blew it! 
Mm. Solid, though. I believe, would Jerry Sloan have been on that team, Scotty? I should have given that hint. Well, it was uh, it was fun while it lasted. So what do we got tomorrow, Kevin? I'm, I'm basically going to go home and sleep for 12 hours and watch the national say, title You're going to be fresh to go then for the 920 right. tip. Certainly we'll recap that. Mark, we've got to talk a little Masters at some point. Yep. Will yep. Haskett maybe tomorrow or Wednesday? Or you want him on Thursday when it all starts off? We can do Wednesday, Thursday, whatever you want. You're the Masters man. So. Yeah, I say we get him on as early as possible okay. in the week. Try to get some uh, thoughts from Will. Usually he does. Jordan Spieth's going to win the Masters. Uh, he would be a favorite. Really? I think Rory's the I, I favorite think got to win. Three. Jordan Spieth kind of feels like he's fallen. Like like that course though, Jake is like. Tony Kanaan or Takuma Sato, the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, I think I'll be rooting against Tiger, though, because Kevin said he'd come in with pants off. Okay. Yeah, a Tiger Speedo. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, no. I don't want to see I'm not that. going to look into purchasing one until, like, Saturday, though. I, I don't want to jinx anything. I, you know, when I texted Ken Levicka on Friday about FAU, and if they want it all, we'd love to have him on, I feel like he thought that I jinxed him. You probably did. He's like, who is this? You, got, you guys believe in that stuff. Uh, so we'll talk some Masters. Uh, we're going to get Baltimore side of things, too, as well about Lamar Jackson and where things stand on that front. Everybody have a great Monday. Enjoy the nice weather. We'll talk to you tomorrow.